which is just a metaphor for powerful people, for them to survive, because it's a small planet with limited natural resources, most of us have to die. Okay, guys, welcome back to this week's edition of the Grimerica Show. We'll be chatting with Daniel Estulin a little bit later about Builder Burgers and all that fun stuff. Um, but first, uh, as always, how's it going tonight, Graham? Hey, Darren. Doing pretty good, buddy. I'm in... Uh... Happy that spring seems to have sprung in the igloo and it's Shh, melting all over the place. It. Don't say it. You're going to jinx us. No, it's good. We've been hit with some warm weather, so hopefully that uh, sticks around for a little bit. So the three feet of ice on all the roads is melting and creating rivers of ice water everywhere. Yeah, fuck. You should see sights crazy. I drove through like a little lake today at work. Yeah. <laughs> it's like seriously probably like, ah. Uh, 100 meters by 100 meters squared. Yeah. Just water like a foot and a half deep. Yeah. So much ice here. I've never seen it this bad. Global warming. Sorry, we shouldn't ramble on about nothing. Well, we might as well start off by welcoming, welcoming a few new uh, few new countries. Uh, Paraguay. Paraguay. Yeah. Uh, hola. I think we mentioned them last time, didn't no, we? No, that was Nicaragua. Oh, wow. Now, Paraguay is in between Argentina and Brazil. Our hegemony is reaching through South America. What's hegemony? Is that like a nice empire? A love empire? <laughs> I should, I I should look it up. I you love. I learned it, uh, and you know what's look funny? Is I learned it Probably in... Probably something uh, fucked up. Um, and and listening to sci-fi novels. Uh, Ukraine. Not the Ukraine, Ukraine. So I know, isn't that crazy? Eh? In yeah, the middle of like all that, they're like listening to the Grand America show. Uh, Ukraine, but... Uh, Welcome. Uh, hopefully you guys are safe and everything's cool. You want to hear the definition of hegemony or hegemony? Hegemony? It's an indirect form of government and of imperial dominance in which the hegemon, the leader state, rules geopolitically subordinate states. So that's just kind of like our fucking corporatocracy. <laughs> by the implied means of power, the threat of force, rather than by direct military force. So it's just like threatening a kid for his lunch money instead of beating him up and taking it. That's what you're comparing <laughs> Grand America to. Uh, anyways, it's better than Empire, probably. Maybe. We'll, we'll think of, uh, tweet us what we should call Grand America. Grand America's takeover? Yeah. I like how you, you got uh, Jim Harold's email. Oh, yeah. The last episode. Global domination. global domination of the Paranormal Podcast. Yeah, so welcome. That puts us up to 83 countries in... Uh, so let's keep it growing. So let's uh, everybody tell your friends about Grimerica. Uh, leave us a review where you can, of course, to iTunes and such. Um, it's your birthday. Happy it birthday, is my buddy. Birthday. 33 is a magic number. 33, yeah. 
33 years ago today. Yeah. And here I am in the studio working. That's right. right. Working for nothing. Working for nothing. (laughs) Oh, we had a great chat with John Perkins a little earlier that will be airing next week. So yeah, you don't want to pass that up. That was the day he had available. So we took it. Yeah. Yeah. I'll do the birthday festivities tomorrow. So this is my Mason year. I'm a 33rd degree human. Uh, so we should mention the uh, chat with Daniel ran fairly long. Uh, it's been a while since we had one this long, but I think we were right around two hours or so with him, maybe even a little more. Uh, so we're going to keep this fairly short and sweet, uh, just kind of get to the main things. Uh, w- did you hear about that flight that disappeared? Uh, yeah, that yeah, fl- I heard that- it. You know what I was reading today? That fucking the loved ones are saying that they were calling the people after the flight had supposedly disappeared and their phones were still ringing. Nobody's answering, though? Yeah, like 19 different cases of phones still ringing after the flight had already disappeared, but no one would answer. So that gets all weird time slippy and shit, but who knows? Hopefully, you, like, all oh, hearts go out, hopefully everyone turns out to be okay. Did you ever see that TV show, The Event, a while back? Where they created a wormhole for that plane to fly through? No, but I remember, like, the Langoliers... Remember in the Langoliers, they fucking, they're in the plane and it gets, um, it's like they, they went through that electrical storm or whatever. And then they were just like a little bit in the past, like 10 minutes in the past or 15 minutes behind real time. So there was no people and all the food would taste it a little off. And then you could hear the crunch, 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 crunch of the Langoliers eating up reality, exposed (laughs) reality. Crazy shit. Yeah, it was good. You never seen that? No. It's like super cheesy because it's like old school, but it's based on a Stephen King novel Mm -hmm. back when he was cool. (laughs) Speaking of cool, a big shout out to Cousin Jeff. Um, Two days into the Money Bomb. Well, by the time you guys hear this, it'll be a week, but uh, recording here is second day of the Money Bomb, and he's uh, subscribed and taken the first Grimerica email address. Yeah, thanks, Cousin Jeff. Yeah. want to give a shout out to... Him and his crew, somewhere over the Atlantic, somewhere not over the Atlantic, Atlantic, in the Atlantic. Hopefully, well, technically, hopefully over the Atlantic. Well, not well. No, they're in the water, right? But they're Shit. over it. No, they're on top of it. They're not over it. A, f- a plane would be over it. Yeah, let's agree to disagree. Hopefully, they're keeping their eyes open for USOs. That's the unidentified submersible objects that Man, uh, are seen the... all over the globe, popping in and out of water. Imagine the stars. I know. I bet you. I wonder if it's too rough for a telescope. Do you like guys it... have any night vision goggles on the ship? Like the Milky Way and shit. I wonder if they can yeah. like shut out all the deck lights and just be like fucking crazy. Yeah, maybe. Eh? I bet it's too rough for a telescope too. Yeah, probably. because I like try and set up my telescope in my backyard, and it's annoying because you fucking an- bump the thing and you're fucking off in left field. <laughs> I could so, just imagine the boat rock. You just get it all lined up, and fucking boat rocks. So these guys are on the IT interceptor, and soon it will be called the Antonio Musi once the Italians take her over. So we want to say hi to everybody there. Yeah, keep Hola. your eyes on the skies. You should get some night vision goggles and check the shit out up there. Yeah, do that. So speaking of the mummy bomb, mummy, <laughs> the mummy bomb. That's fucked up thing to say, but it's a thing that happens here. The money bomb is uh, up and running. Go to grimerica.ca and click on the money bomb page. Yeah, or it's just grimerica.ca slash money bomb. Right. 
Um, it's got a real simple instruction there. Basically, we took this uh, idea, we borrowed it, adopted. we stole it, we adopted it from the higher side chats, Greg Carlwood over there. Hey, Greg, how's it going, buddy? Yeah, in our defense, Greg encouraged us to. Yes. We, we talked to him about it first, and he oh, encouraged yeah. us. No, this is great. Try and make it, you know, we're trying to spread the word and maybe make it the model for, because, you know, if we're going to get rid of uh, all mainstream media altogether, <laughs> then... Uh, you know, it'll all just become, I think that's the future. It'll all become self-supportive. Like yeah, that. value Remember, for value. Like even how Ray Kurzweil and them talk about how by like 20, like the pre-singularity stage, he said day jobs and hobbies, like in the 2030s, sometimes he figures day jobs and hobbies will, be merging. will fucking merge to the point that people will be doing all kinds of shit. What they like. You know what I mean? It's got yeah. anyone can write, anyone can do podcasts, anyone can do movies. People right. are doing their own movies and yeah. shit now. So it's all going to change over to more of a, a hobby based economy. And that's fuck, fucking wicked. Yeah. Like you can't really beat that. Maybe that's a pipe dream, but hey, who knows? It'll, no, who knows, man, with technology and how fast it's going. So it's like the value for value donate and then you get a little bit back with the money bomb idea. And we'd like to plug uh, THC too while we're at it because they're a great podcast over there in San Diego, California. Yeah. The higher side chats. Yeah, it might take a little while. Uh, we got the first one. Our plan is to do the draw on the 30th of every month. But uh, if it's not at least, if it's not over $100 in the pot, we're just going to roll it over. And then uh, we're always going to give at least 100 back to the guests. So if we get 130 then we take 30, we give away a hundred. Yeah. Yeah. So it's not, uh, it's actually not a 50, it's not going to be 50, 50 unless we get to a 200. Right. So uh, yeah, that makes sense. And it's easy to enter any, any donation amount at all. Um, or you can, five, subs- five, I think the minimum is five bucks. Oh, is it? So yeah, it's five bucks and up. Oh, okay. Yeah. Okay. Five, it's minimum $5, but we'll take anything. Right. And, and of course we have the $5 a month plan. Uh, which gets you in the money bomb every month. And for a limited time, we'll come with a grimerica.ca or .com email address. Can I have a .ca email address? Uh, no. You have to sign up. I've only got .com, but I still get mixed up. You have to sign up, and you can't win. Or you can just send a postcard or a letter to our P.O. Box 16033-815-17-THAV, Southwest Calgary, T2T5H7. Canadia. And if no you can't remember required. that shit, yeah, oh yeah, yeah, that's a no donation required. And also, if you uh, email us uh, a picture of the Grimerica Show flyer, which you can download at slash flyer uh, in a nice, busy location, and that'll get you entered as well. Um, so yeah, let's see if we can get it going. If we can get a lot of people on board, we could uh, we could actually be giving out a significant amount of money um, when we get the ball rolling. So you know. Uh, Support the show and put, uh, you know, make some other random listeners day at the same time. And hey, maybe eventually your day too. Um, so yeah, that's, that's, there's that. There's always the audible, uh, audibletrial.com slash grimerica. Um, and I think that's about it for selling stuff. Um, fuck Amazon this week. Uh, like I say, the interview is long, so we want to bust into it pretty quick. Graham, you wanted to talk about, uh, some sort of world drum movement or something. Oh yeah. Yeah. Well, the lady that puts on her, um, sweat lodge and she's a, she's a healer. She does uh, Reiki healing and uh, cranial sacral, a bunch of different stuff. 
her meetup group is uh, Sleeping Buffalo Lodge, and her uh, website is Asani Healing, A S A N I Healing. Anyway, she's uh, helping organize a world drum ceremony. So that's going to be uh, on April 21st. Yeah, I think we're going to see if we can actually get her to sneak in next week for, for a few minutes and kind yeah. of explain it to us. Yeah, yeah. Because it's, it's, she invites all sun dancers, drummers, musicians, singers, dancers to celebrate our pre, uh, planet, planet, and join me planet. in prayer, meditation, and songs for the healing of the waters all over the earth. So cool idea. It's the day before Earth Day. And uh, anything global like this that might help our planet will be fantastic. Yeah, well, yeah, that's cool. We should uh, chat, to ch- have a chat with that, and see how many uh, drums we can get going. I have some bongos, and of course, uh, we're also featuring a. It's kind of cool. A fan of the show, um, Sonscriff. Uh, you can find it over at sonscriff.com. Uh, all the music you heard in this episode. Uh, he was kind enough to send us a link and let us use his music. So go on over there, check that out. It's great stuff, as you've heard, or well, I guess you probably haven't heard any yet, but you're about to hear some in the upcoming break and uh, throughout the interview as well. So yeah, big thank. Uh, we found him on Twitter. Big thanks, Sanskrit, for the music. And uh, uh, keep it coming. If any of you guys are musically talented or have some friends that are musically talented trying to get their music out there, uh, we are always looking for, for music. Um, it's uh, quite a chore to track it down. So if you've got, uh, we can help each other out, go ahead. We'll give them some exposure and uh, we get some music. Yeah. Email it over to feedback at grimerica.ca. Yeah, Sanskrit sounds really cool, actually. Yeah, it is cool. I shit. love it I already. Like it. I've only heard like two minutes of it. And maybe we should have that in the background music of the UFO, uh, profound UFO quote of the week. No, that's already taken i've used the same music two weeks in a row so i'm not going to change oh, have it you? yeah x files maybe i should listen to it <laughs> yeah you probably should i have a lot of power in post you should hear some of the shit that you said in this podcast <laughs> you have no idea some of the shit i've edited you to say i trust you buddy these people think you're a fucking ass no i'm just kidding i would never do that only if i had the time to go back and listen yeah, speaking of profound UFO quote, uh, we are limited on time, but why don't you... Well, it feels Can fucked up to say we're limited on time because it is a podcast, but at the same time, uh, you know, we like to keep the files under like 200 hours, megabytes yeah. for you guys. Yeah. Can I do two s- small ones this week? You know... All right. Okay, first one. We have stacks of reports about flying saucers. We need a jingle for for this thing or something. Yeah, we'll get one. Okay, so... Found a, we found a couple jingle guys, so maybe we're going to get some <laughs> shit put together. If you're a jingle guy, let us know that, too. Okay, here's the, here's the first profound UFO quote of the week by Graham. Like, profound UFO quote of the week with Graham Dunn. We have stacks of reports about flying saucers. We take them seriously when you consider we have lost many men and planes trying to intercept them. That's from General Benjamin Chidlaw of the Air Defense Command. Beautiful. Yeah, kind of scary. <laughs> Here's number two. The number of thoughtful, intelligent, educated people in full possession of their faculties who've seen something and described it grows every day. We can say categorically that mysterious objects have indeed appeared and continue to appear in the sky that surrounds us. And that's from General 
Lionel M. Chasson, French Air Forces. Chasson? Chasson. It's not Chasson? No, Is it it's C-H-I-A-S-S-O-N? No, that's my buddy. My buddy back home's got a name like that. How's it spelled? Exactly how you said it. Yeah, that's Chasson. That's Chasson. This is Chasson, C-H-A-S-S-I-N, and he's the air defense coordinator of the Allied Forces of NATO. North American Terrorist Organization? (laughs) Fuck. Fits the episode. Oh, it does too, doesn't it? Um, So I think that's about it. Like, big thanks to Sanskrift. Hit up the money bomb. Email is feedback. No, I just want to say too, we got some emails... uh, getting lots of emails and it's good to hear uh people suggesting guests that they like and and we look at uh some of these guests and they look pretty cool so we're gonna try and have some uh, some of those recommendations on yep let's keep uh spam and gram at gram at gramerica.com let's make march spam and gram month okay guys um We'll take a quick break here and bust into our interview with Daniel Astulin. Uh, it gets pretty wild. Bilderbergs, transhumanism, trans evolution, slaves. It's nanobots. He paints a pretty grisly picture. Of the he's like he'd be like uh, Kurzweil's arch enemy if it was like a comic book. <laughs> Probably, eh? Yeah. Actually, the whole New World Order's arch enemy. Yeah. Well, that too. Yeah. But that, yeah. I'm surprised he's still living, actually. Yeah, well, you know, it's getting with it's harder. Like people are more protected than they are nowadays. I like, guess. Uh, like, uh, like Perkins, said, like right? Perkins was saying when we chatted with him. It's like uh, nowadays, it it uh, if one of these guys disappears or dies in weird circumstances, it almost they become you know, a martyr. It goes from one book to thirty books written about that guy. Yeah, yeah. So. There's a name for that too. Stephen Greer talks about it. Richard? No, a name. <laughs> Stephen. Oh, uh, you sure? Yeah. I'll have to agree to disagree. There's a name for uh, keeping yourself alive by putting yourself out there. Uh, yeah, it's not uh, the dead man switch. That's if you get killed. Oh. Right? That's if I die, this gets released. Oh, I suppose that could it's be some it, sort of the yeah, same. That's the what I'm thinking of. Switch. I think that's what I'm thinking yeah. of. Yeah. Anyways. That's like holding a hand grenade. You shoot me, I uh, let go of the Right. Grenade. Oh yeah, okay. Mm. Yeah. So uh thanks for uh thanks for listening, guys. We hope you enjoy uh, the chat with Daniel Estelin. Okay, guys, uh, with us here tonight in Great America. Well, tonight for us, but it's uh, actually early morning uh, for him, so we, we thank him for that. Uh, we're going to be talking with uh, Daniel Estelin. Um, but uh, first, how's it going, Graham? 
Hey, Darren, I'm doing pretty good. As usual, I'm excited to, uh, to have our guest on, Daniel Estulin. He's an award-winning investigative journalist, and he's one of the few shining the light into the public darkness of the elite cabal. He even made it out unscathed from a surprise interrogation with the Bilderberg hitmen Tweedledee and Tweedledum. Mm-hmm. Listen to his audiobook or read his book, The True Story Behind the Bilderberg Group. And he's got his latest book out, Transevolution, The Coming Age of the Human Destruction, where he unwraps the global monetary farce, the GMO conspiracy, the lamestream and social media, the elite transhumanistic agenda, and the inevitable exodus off this crumbling planet into space. Daniel's the guy risking life and limb to bring us information most would call crazy conspiracy, but littered with facts and real events, Mr. Lestulin brings the truth to light. No sugarcoating here. The picture he's painted is not a pretty one. It's fucking terrifying, and we are seriously running out of time. So we are humbled and equally excited to have him as our guest tonight in Grimerica. So welcome, Daniel. Thank you so much for the introduction. As you said, it's uh, 7 a.m. in uh, in Spain, and uh, it's late night in, uh, in, Cal- in Calgary, Alberta. It's uh, great to be with you on the show, and uh, warm hello to all Canadians. My, my family is actually in Toronto. So um, Canada is my second home, or was for many, many years. Right on. Toronto, the center of, uh, the center of what do they call it? The universe or the center it's, of the it's, world? It's center of nothing, really. But, <laughs> but, you know, it's, they, they, they like to think that, you know, but that, that's, that's those people, you know, who are like Mayor Ford, who's never gone beyond Muskoka. You know, if you start traveling the world, you realize that it's a very big and beautiful world out there, and Toronto is definitely not a center of anything. <laughs> yeah, Mr. Ford certainly uh, put Toronto on the map again. I, know, I, I think that guy should be, you know, should, 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 should run for prime ministership because, I, you know, I think if there's one man out there who could put Canada on the map, you know, outside of the Canadian hockey team, that's the guy, you know, is all you see in Europe is him dancing around, you know, jumping up and down and, you know, doing his thing and saying his, you know, stupid things, which are <laughs> really, really funny. Pushing people around. So um, I suppose to get started, um, of course, you're, you had the, uh, the best-selling Bilderberg uh, book, uh, the story of the Bilderberg group, but uh, what, what brought on the, the latest book? It's kind of, I must say, uh, it, was a great, it was a great book, and uh, I definitely, when I went into it, it definitely caught me off guard, because it definitely doesn't, you know, it, all, all, everyone else is looking at the, the transhumanism movement as a all-glory beautiful utopian sort of thing and you definitely paint a paint a much more eye-opening picture than that i think it's important to understand that uh in, in to any story there's always two sides to it and um when you look at some of these uh, uh futuristic movements and transhumanist movement is obviously one of them um it's very very misunderstood because uh a lot of the information that we have what transhumanism is is based on on Hollywood films, and there's been uh, you know quite a bit of films out there over the years which deal with this uh, transhumanist agenda. We could talk about uh, RoboCop, you know, the latest one that just came out. I mean, the film is crap, but the point behind it, you know, everything related to neuroscience is is very much a transhumanist agenda. Um, you have uh, Blade Runner. That's, you know, going back to the early 1980s. That was a film written by David Peebles, and that was a great film. And uh, um, the people behind the transhumanist movement actually talk about the near future as, as the world of Blade Runner. And then you had that uh, 
terminated with uh, Schwarzenegger. And uh, the film itself, again, was crappy. But uh, um, you know, the technology, especially, you know, the, the things that um, Schwarzenegger was able to see, that's uh, pure transhumanist movement. You're talking about uh, augmented reality, for example. Then there's Gattaca, uh, there's Avatar, there's uh, video games like Deus Ex, which is actually, by the way, made by a Canadian company out of Montreal. <coughs> What's uh, that video game called? Deus Ex. <coughs> it's spelled D-E-U-S. Oh, yeah, okay. Yeah. Second word, E-X. And... Uh, Wow, that's a no-brainer to me. It's the greatest video game in the history of mankind, and not 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 of the game video game itself because I don't play video games, but what it represents. And if people want to see, you know, the transhumanist movement personified with all of its in all of its manifestations, you know, with all of its bag of tricks, <clears throat> check out the videos on on YouTube for uh, for this game again. Deus D E U S and the second word X E X, and boy, it's it's uh, it's incredible the kind of things that these they're talking about human augmentations. I mean, you know, the technology, this super high end technology in us that they can control us, um, and it's very very real. Uh, another film was Gattaca. I don't know if you remember that. Way oh yeah, back that was a great one with uh, Jude Law. Yeah, exactly. But we have it today in. Uh, you know, the field of a uh, new field of, uh, of synthetic biology. Um, Moon, that was another fa- fabulous film, low budget, very, very low budget, about uh, um, exploration of natural resources on the moon. And then you realize at the end of the film that this one man who was working in this, you know, mega giant uh, super company uh, is actually not even a human being. He's a robot or a clone uh, who every three years dies and another clone exactly like him replaces him. And, uh, you know, a lot of thought when I went into that film and, you know, there's just and, and the latest one that's coming out right now in the next couple of weeks, at least here in Europe, I think in the States as well, uh, called Transcendence with Johnny Depp. And uh, that's uh, that's a must. It's uh, it talks about, you know, uh, Johnny Depp, who plays a role of the world's leading transhumanist. And uh, as he's giving a speech somewhere out there, uh, he gets shot and mortally wounded by <coughs> by a terrorist who uh, uh, were, who is a member of uh, uh, anti tech uh, uh, group and is dying, uh, you know, in his bed. They decide to upload his mind onto the computer, and when oh, they do, yeah, yeah. They, you know, they, he tries to take over the world. And uh, you know, the the idea of uploading mind onto the computer this is the transhumanist's wet dream. That's, that this is their idea of of immortality, going back to Russia twenty five forty five moment, which of course we you know we can talk about uh, during the interview. But I'm saying that. Um, it's not it, it, technology in general is a very very important element of our lives, and uh, because most people are, are not tech savvy, you know, just take a smartphone for example. Most people use, you know, the smartphone uh, to call, to take a photograph, you know, to use uh, WhatsApp and maybe Skype, and that's it. Whether it's if you actually understand smartphones, the technology in a smartphone is far more superior than what NASA had when they sent Apollo to the moon. So there's uh, this 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 uh, growth and an understanding of the world around us is paramount to the survival of the human species because. Uh, there's 7 billion people on a planet Earth. It's a small planet with limited natural resources. And so uh, when you go to the next generation, we're going to be looking at 10 to 12 billion people, then to 18, 24, and so on and so forth, which is an incredible you know, mass of humanity. So because progress and development 
is directly proportional to population density. If we have, uh, if we are to survive as people, our humanity, we're going to need technology able, to be able to support that incredible population base. But for the elitists and call them, you know, whatever you want to call them, globalists, elitists, Bilderberg, uh, Rockefellers, which is just a metaphor for powerful people, for them to survive, because it's a small planet with limited natural resources, most of us have to die. And when you understand that, and that brings me to you know to the to this key point which I wanted to make and then I'm gonna shut up because you're probably, <laughs> thinking, you're probably thinking it's a boy we just said hello and he's already no 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 that's uh, good we like it and uh, um, but uh, we are standing right now in 2014 at the cusp of the greatest evolutionary change in the history in the history of mankind what you know because we're literally redefining. You know what the meaning of humanity of a human being and in the next few years when i say few years i mean maybe three to five years max the world around us will change in a way that none of us or very few of us can fathom and understand i'm not talking you know the uh the the mayas mayas prophecies 2012 none of that nonsense mm -hmm. talking about technological developments and the fact is that <coughs> our children kids who are today are 15, 20 years old, they're the last truly human generation of beings on the planet Earth. Their children, my grandchildren, they will be anything but human. They'll be transhuman children. They'll be post-human children. They'll be men-machines. They'll be cyborgs. Or they'll be beings who are not totally human as a result of uh, genetic modifications, synthetic biology, which is literally changing our DNA as a result of genetically modified crop. So again, we're faced with, you know, this paradigm change that uh, will redefine the meaning of humanity on the planet Earth. <laughs> yeah, it's pretty scary. You, <laughs> the book was a bit of a shocker to me too. First of all, I gotta say it was a it was a fascinating book. I was devouring it over the weekend there, reading it every chance I got. But it was it was pretty scary. I mean, you must have. I, I don't know. There's so much to ask you. I mean, the the iPhone part scared the shit out of me. The, um, you know, you obviously have gotten to a conclusion that this technological revolution or or evolution is not positive and it and it can be used against us and probably will be used against us. I, I think uh, <clears throat> that's a fairly safe assumption to make. And uh, because, again, the difference between my, you know, my first book, The True Story of the Bilderberg Group, which uh, sold over 6 million copies in 74 countries and has been translated into 42 languages. Um, and so, you know, it's, it's like it was fairly unexpected. It's like, you know, winning an Oscar with your first, uh, <laughs> with your first role. And I kind of hit the jackpot with Bilderberg because, again, you know, right? You know, you may you write write a book, and then you hope it sells a little bit. And you know, maybe if you're lucky, it will sell in Canada, and the United States. And if you're really lucky, you know, somebody I don't know in, in France, maybe, you know, might pick it up. And you may say like 20 copies in Paris, and you know, that's it, Bob Geronco. But the fact that this book just literally took the world by storm, it just exploded in the world scene. And uh, um, you know, it, you just said, "Wow!" I thought to myself, "That was easy." <laughs> you know, <laughs> if I did that with the first book, I with the second, I'll probably sell like 20 million copies. Well, I didn't. Because, uh, uh, you know, the, the initial shocker or the, you know, the, the initial wow kind of wore off. I, I, all of the books have sold well, well. I've got 12 books out there. But 
the point is with build work it was easy because we've always known that you know if something happens be it <clears throat> referendum in canada back in the 1990s you know be it war in whatever country out there you know be it uh, iran contra be it whatever you want to you know the the um, american hostages in iran we always known that you know there's somebody pulling the strings and doing something behind the scenes and you know the guy you know who 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 made a lot of money and you know some stock in action was because you know he knew something that the rest of us didn't mm -hmm. so you know we just didn't know who these they were we just didn't know who was pulling the strings who was you know organizing coup d'etats and you know financial shenanigans but we knew that someone was doing it and with Bilderberg <coughs> I basically uh, um made it easy for people to, you know, suddenly these, they had a face to picture it. Yeah. 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 yeah and they had a name they had the pictures and the photographs and documents because I, you know, I spent almost 20 years now investigating these people and, and I had, you know, uh, a, a, a trunk full of, of over 200,000 documents and, and photographs from all their meetings and, and the reports. And we knew what they were talking about suddenly, and you know, you, you had it on a piece of paper and then, and then you could see how what they talked about back in 1973, when they uh, talked about, you know, putting oil up from 350 a barrel to uh, almost, you know, 1150 a barrel. Uh, and suddenly six months after the Bilderberg meeting where, you know, this oil hike was discussed, that's an almost 400% oil hike. Suddenly, oil goes goes up to almost you know, 11.50 a barrel. And so it was easy to see. And we said, aha, there they are. You know, these are the bad guys. But with this book, Trans Evolution, The Coming Age of Human, not destruction, but deconstruction, because they're not destroying us. They're changing the very definition of humanity, which is called, which is why the subtitle is The Coming Age of Human Deconstruction, is uh, different because... We're extrapolating what we know into the future, extrapolating knowledge. So yes, based on what we know about, you know, the 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 uh, the elitists, the globalists, you know, the 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 powerful people up there, we know that if they get their hands on technology, it'll probably not be used to help humanity, and uh, and you know, and nor will be used to uh, fight terrorists, as Obama and the Bushes are so fond to tell us. It'll probably be used, you know, to fight us, the people, because in the end, we are the enemy because there's 7 billion of us. And there's just too many as far as they're concerned and too difficult to control. So, but technology, if we use it well, we can do so many amazing things. We can go, you know, conquer space. We can cure disease <clears throat> with new technology such as nanotechnology. We can literally you know, make this planet disease free because we now have the technology to actually go in that direction. But it all depends who gets their hands on it and what they're going to be doing with it. And the reason, I mean, you, you, you call that book scary. And I think the reason it's scary, and I, you know, it was, certainly wasn't my objective to scare people to death. But the point is that it's the first book out there <clears throat> that, uh, not only talks about, uh, you know, the transhumanist movement or, you know, this technology. Another film was Prometheus. I don't know if you guys saw that film. Yeah. That was a transhumanist agenda personified. But uh, um, it's the fact that I put all the elements out there, on, you know, uh, included in kind of, a, you know, this jigsaw puzzle. I talk about the economy. We talk about demand destruction. We talk about synthetic biology. Uh, we talk about space exploration, social media, <clears throat> transhumanist movement, a singularity, hive mind mentality, and all this amazing stuff out there from nanotech and how it is being used 
to all these gadgets and innovations, high, really super high antenna innovations, which again are going to change how we understand the the relationship between you know us, the people, the planet Earth, and the galaxies and the universe around us. And well, there is a lot of people out there, you know, who write books on transhumanism. They talk about the center on the agenda itself. It doesn't make sense to talk about only the transhumanism if you don't include other elements as to why this is being done, where they're going with this. And this is a very, very important point to understand is why they're doing what they're doing right now. Mm -hmm. And that's hard to understand. Like, that's hard for me to, to grasp. Like, usually I'm a kind of half full, full, uh, the glass half full type guy. And I have a positive outlook. And when I read stuff, and you get really deep into it, which is good. You get deep into the technology stuff that I've never heard of, and then deep into the the elite and what they're and what they're up to. And it's hard for me to picture why they want to control us. Like why it, w- it seems to me like it would be easier instead of um, you know like killing off half the planet or or dumbing us down to the point of control just to make our lives easier like if you were to improve the basic needs of people you would sort of exponentially increase the happiness and contentness of people like wouldn't it be easier to do that than to go the other way well they want to make you happy they just want to you know make sure you're happy once you're connected to a computer they can you know they can uh uh, control your happiness, <laughs> you know, and your sadness. But uh, let me just very briefly explain why they're doing this. <laughs> you know, if you kind of go back in time, um, six thousand years, uh, who controlled the knowledge of society? They certainly weren't the uh, uh, the pharaohs, because uh, I mean, they were just you know little boys and girls who had very little knowledge of anything. Knowledge way back then was controlled by high priests, and uh, they kind of gave it to us, you know, a little droplet at a time. Um, but today, you know, 6,000 years later, as a result of, you know, quantum revolution and, and information, te- information, technological revolution, suddenly, you know, this equation between them and us, you know, has been turned on its head. And now today you sitting in Calgary, me sitting in Madrid, <clears throat> another guy sitting in the North Pole, or you have a, I don't know, uh, uh, some Aborigine outback or a Khoi Indian sitting on a tree in the middle of a rainforest in Bolivia. All we need to do is have a computer, an internet hookup, and Google. And we have as much knowledge as any of these secret societies, powerful people in the history of mankind, because anything you want to know, just Google it, and I know as much as they do. So what has been you know, secret information passed on from generation to generation in secret meetings and, you know, behind closed doors, you know, in the dark, uh, meetings of, you know, small groups of privileged people who kept these very powerful knowledge to themselves. Uh, 90% of this knowledge today is available on Google. And so the elitists <clears throat> said to themselves, well, that won't do. You know, it's, so, the, you know, there's a gap between them, them, and the great unwashed, which is 99% of the population, and it has always been this way, you know, throughout history, um, is, is, you know, is, is getting smaller and smaller. And uh, so, I mean, it's like if you look on, the, uh, 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 on a dollar bill, U.S. dollar bill, and kind of, you know, look at that famous pyramid up there, you know, and I'm not going to go into symbolism too much, so, you know, yeah, I, I don't yeah. want people get them crazy. But, uh, you know, <clears throat> because people have a funny way of reacting to these kinds of things. You know, you have the top of the pyramid that, you know, that, that all-seeing eye. Yeah. 
But the point is, is that well, the, these are the, the elitists uh, uh, who have you know this 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 wonderful access to incredible knowledge, which I think you know most thinking people would love to have. And then under them, there's like a little space, and then the rest of the unfinished pyramid. Uh, so the the little little layer, you know, just below the uh, the, the 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 eye. That would be the you know the uh, the elite uh, presidents and you know billionaires and so on and the you know the eye above them that would be you know the the, the people who actually control humanity right. and then as you go further you know <clears throat> down towards the base that would be humanity so you know you and I would be just you know uh, under the uh, the elitists as far as you know quest for knowledge understanding information and then you get to the bottom you get you know the the human larva no. People who don't do anything, who don't contribute anything. Uh, people like you know Rob Ford of this world. <laughs> but uh, um, and uh, you know if he wants to sue me, go right ahead. You know I'll, I'll beat him anyway. But uh, the point is, is that uh, you know with this knowledge, access to knowledge, this pyramid has literally been flipped upside down. So now we have as much access to anything that you know they want to hide from us as they do. So now they don't want to hide anything. Now you see it in plain sight through Hollywood films. But the point is, is that uh, with uh, <clears throat> what, what is being done right now, this is the part which is intricate. And once you understand it, the rest is easy to understand. So what we're seeing around us today, you know, look at Detroit. That's been, you know, it's, I, every time I look at Detroit, I don't understand how people don't see what I see. Yeah, or yeah, maybe, you know, yeah. I, maybe I'm the one who's, you know, who's crazy. But to me, Detroit, which has been a motor city and, you know, and, and an engine of America's growth for how many decades today looks like a bombed out post-apocalyptic shell yeah. of something you see, I don't know, in Will Smith's I Am Legend films, <laughs> okay? you know, when you really think about it. But the point is, is that what the elites are doing is on the one hand, they're destroying the world's economy on purpose. Uh, we've heard terms like deindustrialization, demand destruction, uh, zero growth. Uh, these are the kinds of terminologies that have crept up over the years in, in mainstream media. And the result of that is Detroit. That's a perfect, that's a poster child. Mm -hmm. So what they're doing is they're destroying the demand on the one hand, destroying the world economy on the one hand, uh, and sending us to hell in a handbasket. And the reason for that is, again, Progress and development is directly proportional to population density. If there's progress, there's wealth. If there's wealth, people are going to have, you know, children. And children means more mouths to feed. And more mouths to feed means less food for the Rockefellers of this world. So those of us, or the, the, the listeners who think that, you know, Estulin doesn't make a lot of sense because Rockefeller being, being a capitalist, you know, personified, he would want to have all these people have money and buy their trinkets. No, you wouldn't. They don't need you to buy their trinkets. They already control 90% of the planet Earth. What they need to do is to make sure that they have enough food and water for their breed. And for them, again, to survive, most of us have to die. So that's on the one hand, <clears throat> they're destroying the world's economy on purpose. But on the other hand, uh, they're using <clears throat> their gazillions of dollars in wealth to develop uh, and discover these amazing, futuristic, mind-boggling technologies, which we see all around us. Anything from synthetic biology to space exploration to space travel to nanotechnology, you know, to a redefinition of, of, of how you could actually create a human being in a laboratory, how you can upload our brains, create holographic images of our bodies. 
actually are thinking and you know and 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 existing in in the space right next to us and you wouldn't even know the difference which one is real which one is not so this kind of technology requires an incredible financial investment incredible financial investment and decades of development so what you see today in hollywood films for example these people have been working on it for about 45 50 years this isn't something that you can just you know whip up in a you know in a hot dog stand somewhere in calgary you know it's this is something that takes you know generations of very very smart people working together towards a very very concrete goal and you've so got documentation this, on all this too it's not like you're just saying all this right you've you've uh you've seen minutes and you've you've heard discussions or, or read discussions about making this happen. I think it's, uh, I think it's pretty ironic how the, the medium that we can use to look up the information on these elitists nowadays are the people who are probably going to end up controlling our happiness. And you know what I mean? With Google buying up basically every tech company that does anything exciting. Well, it's always, it has always been like this because, again, <clears throat> back 6,000 years ago, high priests controlled your happiness because, you know, they made sure that you believed, in, you know, in their God. They made sure that you did what they wanted you to do. And if you didn't, then, you know, their gods would come down and slap you silly and, you know, make you uh, feel sorry for not doing what the high priest told you because high priests and gods were buddies. And so, you know, they could do all these kinds of things. But, you know, you, you made a, a, a very interesting, brought up a very interesting point. I the reason I got into this book, Trans Evolution, uh, was through my contacts at the Bilderberg meeting back in two thousand and five. Um, I've you know I've been investigating Bilderberg for for about twenty years now uh, since early nineteen nineties, and uh, in two thousand and five at the Bilderberg meeting in in Rotterdam in Germany, which is just a little town of about six thousand people on the outskirts of Munich, but you know, per square meter of space, it has more billionaires than on any other, you know, place on earth. Hmm. Uh, unless you have, you know, some, you know, banquet hall where all the billionaires come together, you know, to, you know, <laughs> and to play dominoes. But in that little town alone, you had some like 16 or seven or 20, I can't remember, billionaires. You know, you had the guy who owned one of the biggest, you know, tech companies in the world. You had one of the families who owned, uh, you know, Merck ph you know, ph Pharmaceutical Company. And you have people like that living there, you know. And, and so Bilderbergers, have, you know, they have obviously exquisite taste. They met in this incredible hotel. And uh, my sources at the meeting passed me <clears throat> a an incomplete report, but a very important report, <clears throat> which later would be called Strategic Trends Report, 2007-2036, which turned out to be a secret source document on the uh, future of humanity. It's not very long. It's 91 pages long. I got from my sources about 34-page discussion, kind of a draft blueprint. And uh, But today, for example, because of Google, we don't have to be part of any secret society. We could just, you know, uh, go to Google search engine, type in Strategic Trends Report 2007-2036, and you can just download it for free in PDF and read it. Read it. Because it's an eye-opening experience. And uh, <clears throat> when I was reading that report, uh, and later combined with other reports, such as the Age of Transition, the Global's Future, you know, 2045 Initiative, mm -hmm. uh, NBIC, uh, a conference which combined, you know, this amazing 
uh, high-tech uh, conference, which and, and, and almost a 700-page report where they talked about, you know, uh, how things like robotics, cybernetics, artificial intelligence, life extensions, brain enhancement, brain-to-brain interaction, virtual reality, genetic engineering, teleportation, human-machine interfaces, uh, neuromorphic engineering, enhanced human capabilities for defense purposes, how all of these elements will merge with humanity over the next few years. And again, the Bilderberg Report, or you know, the Strategic Trends Report, that goes back to 2005. We are now in 2014. And so when I was reading that report, I was thinking to myself, this isn't you know some 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 gooky crazy stuff put out by you know these conspiracy theorists online who talk about UFOs you know who come and invade us and you know body snatchers who become part of humanity none of that stupidity these are very very intelligent people these are futurists these are visionaries these are scientists mm-hmm. no Nobel Prize winning uh, economists people who understand everything about the the very nature of humanity and some of the conclusions of that report. And again, that was the basis uh, of, uh, of my new book, Trans Evolution, is that, for example, uh, they're talking about population explosion going to 10 billion people in about 20 years. Mm-hmm. But also in 20 years, two-thirds of the world's population, that's about 7 billion people, will be living in areas of water stress. They're talking about the lack of food, water, medicine, proper hygiene, education, basic human necessities will spell collapse. This is directly quoting the report. And then without mincing words, they talk explicitly about this growing gap uh, between majority and a small number of highly visible, super rich, which will likely to pose an increasing threat to social order and stability. And the result this growing desperation on the part of humanity will result in civil war, intercommunal violence, insurgency, pervasive criminality, widespread disorder, uh, which will lead logically, okay, to a collapse in globalized economy. And then just, you know, just when you thought you had enough and you're already sick to your stomach, they said that, you know, countries will disappear as a result of this, you know, this, this, uh, uh, um, what would you call it? Uh, uh, reaction, uh, uh, you know, to uh, on the part of humanity. So, and countries will be replaced by uh, mega cities, as we had back in the Middle Ages. Hmm. And they define a mega city as a city with a population base of at least twenty to thirty million people. Hmm. But because of uh, of massive population displacements, cities will swell to unimaginable proportions, uh, and uh, uh, they themselves will collapse by 2035, bringing complete destruction to humanity. And this isn't, again, this isn't some crazy stuff you see on the internet, you know, report from, you know, from Ironhead Mountain, none of that stuff. These are serious people who put these reports together and they know what they're talking about. And, and again, it's, it makes sense when you're destroying the world's economy and you have the separation between very, very few powerful people and the rest of humanity, you have to make sure they're protected. And to do that, you need pervasive surveillance, which is what we have around us today, which is why they can, you know, control every telephone conversation in the world. They can read all your faxes. They know what you're thinking because, you know, they have social modeling theories down pat. You have social engineers you know, uh, watching what you do on the internet, watching how you use Twitter, what you do with Facebook. It's like, you know, imagine you're standing on top of a mountain, uh, uh, an anthill, 
And uh, from your vantage point, you could see what these, you know, gazillions of ants are doing uh, because you're tall and they're not. But, you know, you could do the same thing with humanity, you know, through this magic of, 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 of Internet. And so when I read these reports, I realized that we have to at least make sure that people understand what's out there, which is why, again, as I said earlier, there's lots of books out there that talk about, you know, transhumanism and, and all these, you know, things that, you know, it is and it is not. Uh, but it's not about bad or good because, again, movement itself isn't bad. It's a visionary futuristic movement. What is terrible is what these people are planning to do with us because uh, if you really want to understand how they understand our future, go see the film which came out last summer called uh, uh, Elysium with Matt Damon. I don't know if you guys... Yeah, uh, we saw that, yeah. Well, you know, it's like, you want to know what near future looks like? That's what it looks like. And they call this near future the world of Blade Runner, where the elitists living on this artificially created planet, which is not very difficult to do. We have uh, um, um, International Space Station, you know, and we have the technology to create these uh, artificial planets. Mm. And the rest of us living in water stress areas, as you, you know, you saw in film. And if you want to talk about water stress, Look at Sri Lanka, look at Bangladesh, look at India. You know, we'll just imagine you extrapolate this, extrapolate this to the rest of humanity. And, uh, uh, you know, you have borders, but they, they'll be useless when you have, you know, millions of people trying to cross borders. Because right now, for example, Spain has two colonies or territories, I guess they're not colonies, in Africa, uh, which is, <clears throat> Spain is uh, in Europe. And... Uh, um, um, I'm trying to explain this to you know to, to the dumb Americans who think that you know Spain is somewhere out there right you know right next to North Korea. It's not. It's uh, it's in Europe. It's uh, <clears throat> we're right where the Mediterranean meets the Atlantic Ocean next to Portugal, and uh, <clears throat> on the other side is you have you know Northern Africa, and <clears throat> uh, they have two small enclaves in Africa called uh, Ceuta and Melilla. Uh, just you know think of kind of you know. Uh, uh, America being separated, you know, mainland from Alaska by Canada. Well, uh, the uh, Africans who are desperate, absolutely desperate to get out of where they are and come to Europe because where they are, there's absolutely nothing to do or eat. And uh, so on a daily basis, they assault this, you know, these, the, the, the uh, Spanish enclave trying to get over the uh, these uh, uh, electrical fences, which are about, you know, 30, 40 feet high and extend for kilometers at a time. They don't care. When you get like 10,000 people running in the middle of the night trying to assault these fences, you either shoot them all or you let them by, let them in. And this is what's happening right now. Hmm. So you have thousands of these Africans <clears throat> from all over Africa who come to the north of Africa to try to get over these fences, you know, to become, because once you're on Spanish territory, they can't, you know, they can't evict you. And so this, you know, the, this stress areas for population displacement is what we're going to be seeing. And this is exactly what they talked about in their report, strategic strengths report. So this report, okay. So do you think that this has been the plan all along through the 20th century, like back from the creation of the federal reserve? And then this report kind of put it over the tipping point. This report was like proof to just uh, force the collapse and then take care of themselves. Collapse is a, is a very tricky concept because if you collapse the economy too quickly, 
then uh, you won't be able to control this collapse. Mm -hmm. uh, the idea of any collapse is that they have to control it. It's like when you have a building and you want to pull it. You know what I mean? You can throw like launch grenades at it, you know, or bomb it from, you know, from, from, uh, from, from the sky, which is probably not a really good idea, you know, because, you know, you have this, you know, this building falling all over the place. So, but if you're going to pull it the way you know, it's usually done, then you're controlling this collapse. And this is what these people are doing. They're destroying the economy one segment at a time. It's called slow burn. So that people never figure it out completely or they, you know, get one sector of the economy, one sector of the population in, you know, to fight another sector, one group fighting another group, one ghetto against another ghetto, one interest group against another, divide and conquer. And this is what we're seeing around the world. But yes, the idea is to reduce the world's population to a far more manageable number. So as they're sending us to hell, you know, they're going to be going into outer space as a result of this incredible technology, which they're developing as we speak. And there's another side to the technology too, though, right? Like the social media, like what we're doing now, I know that everything can be monitored, but couldn't they underestimate the power of us being connected throughout the world? And I mean, there, there's gotta be a chance that, uh, that they're missing something big in all this well you know first of all uh, uh <clears throat> these people don't miss anything you know these aren't you know it's just like you know it's think of an american government the american government whenever you see uh you know it's, i always find it funny i mean i don't have television because you know it's when i was a kid growing up in the soviet union i uh <clears throat> you know you had like we had like two channels and uh black and white and you know, you know whenever i see like a talking head i like, you know <laughs> go behind the television uh, you know, telling us, you know, when I was like six years old, you know, telling us that how fortunate we all were to, you know, to to live in the Soviet Union with skies always bluer than anywhere else in the world, where no one ever died of anything. There were no airplane crashes. Everybody was happy, 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 you know, and lived forever. But uh, so, you know, I, I kind of, you know, come up to the television set and, and try to say hello to this guy and look for him behind, you know, behind the television set. And I couldn't find him. You know, he just kept talking, but I couldn't find him. And I said to my father, I said, you know, uh, you know, this is not, this is not real. This guy is, this guy is not real. And, you know, today with being, being 47, I mean, I can explain it a bit differently, but the concept of a six-year-old kid, that TV isn't real is, uh, you know, is, is never gone away. So <clears throat> the reason I, I, and I'm thinking to myself, why the hell did I tell you the story? I, I don't know. <laughs> the, you know. I thought at the time that there was a reason for it. No, anyway. it's about it's about the interconnectedness that we all have, right? And not paying attention to to the mainstream because less and less people are watching TV now. Less and less people have cable. More people are going to this type of media. So even though you you had a, a section in your book on the new media or the social media, which is talking about how you know how it can be tracked and all that, I think even though these guys are the smartest in the world or whatever, I mean, it, we're in uncharted territory right now, right? With this. So how can they even predict how, how we're going to respond as a, as a culture? It's, uh, it's actually not very difficult to do because they have, uh, uh, you know, 6,000 years of, 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 of doing this and uh, they really don't make mistakes. I know what I, why I was telling you the story because uh, it just <laughs> give an example. You take a government, any government, American government, for example. Whenever I see you know stories on television or anywhere in the media where they're talking about you know the president of the United States went somewhere he shouldn't have and you know he made a mistake and he said presidents don't make mistakes, governments don't make mistakes. If if, if there was a mistake, it wasn't a mistake for them. It was meant to be done this way. 
you know, you can talk about education, how it's being destroyed all over the world. We can laugh, we can laugh at Americans, how stupid they are. That they most of them don't even know what country they live in. You ask them what state do you live in, they have no idea. You know, the latest is that you know, twenty five percent of Americans uh, uh, think that uh, it's the uh, uh, actually the sun that uh, that spins around the earth, not the other way around. We say, ha ha, they're so stupid. But the point is, when a government like the American government, which is the world's most powerful government, uh, spend ninety billion dollars a year on education. <clears throat> and they get this degeneracy it's because they pay or they get what they pay for because of the american government the canadian government or any government out there if they wanted something else and they paid 90 billion dollars and they weren't getting it that squeeze every ounce of life out of you until they got what they paid for and the result of what they actually, this degeneracy, this, you know, the basement of education is because they exactly are getting exactly what they want hmm. because they don't want smart people. They want stupid people. And because they have a lot of stupid people out there and have a history of being able to control stupid people, they know exactly how to do it. Divide and conquer, bringing on, you know, artificial crisis, keeping us off balance. It's the way they've always done this. So they don't make mistakes. They know exactly what's out there. But what they can't control is that, you know, there's this one thing that we have. It's called divine spark of reason, which makes us different from any animal out there. It's our ability to discover universal principles of nature, which improve the lives of everybody on the planet per square kilometer of space against nature, that's what makes a difference. And the point is, is that any technology, anything out there, it's a double-edged sword. Talk, you know, let's talk about internet. <clears throat> yes, people are saying, oh, they want to, the globalists want to shut down internet. My question is, why would they want to do that? If you shut down internet, suddenly you lose sight of what 7 billion people on a planet Earth are doing. And they don't want that. Yes, it's empowering. Yes, there's a lot of stuff out there which helps us to understand reality. But how many people are interested in reality? Not many. Most people just prefer to live their stupid little, you know, useless, pointless existence. Have television. You have your work. You have your, you know, little wife. <clears throat> sex once a week or twice. If you're lucky, you know, your children you have your baseball game. And that's about it. And, you know, to actually be enlightened you know, as, as, as the globalists like to, you know, their symbol is Prometheus, you know, the, the god of light. Okay, that's why they call the Illuminati. But the point is that there's not, not many people out there who are interested when you compare it to the rest of the population who can't even get enough money to eat on a daily basis. Look at, you know, there's almost 5 billion people who live on less than $2 a day. They don't have time to be enlightened. So they certainly understand everything and they don't make mistakes. But as an example of social media, as, as you mentioned earlier, take Twitter, for example. We can talk about Facebook and, and, and Microsoft and Apple and Google. But look at Twitter. And it's a stupid little you know, thing, a little bluebird of happiness. Okay? <laughs> it has 140 characters when, in fact, every tweet is a goldmine of information. There's your IP address, <clears throat> location when you open up your Twitter account. In other words, 34 to 37 pieces of data in each, in each uh, Twitter tape. And, you know, what's interesting about Twitter is that Twitter conversations, they are real-time statements from millions of people from one moment to the next. So they hold a wealth of information. 
Uh, that's called, you know, trending topics. How does the world's mood change throughout the day as a result of a particular event or a whole series of changes, be it orchestrated or otherwise? So Twitter and social media, <clears throat> they allow a person to understand systems. It allows you to, uh, to capture conversations on a societal scale and see them all and put them in perspective from a much higher plateau, as we talked about, you know, an anthill something that was up until now impossible. And when you start looking at Twitter, Facebook, Google, how they index everything that's out there on the internet, literally swallow information. So they know what you read, what you do, where you do it, who you do it, who they know who your friends are, they know your age, your gender, your religion, your orientation, everything. And everything about each and every one of us is being cataloged 24-7. And when you combine it, you know, with all these technologies such as Facebook Connect, OpenStream, uh, you know, these are great business models that allow these mega corporations to know everything about us. But people who, who you know, who are surprised and uh, are flabbergasted, uh, you know, when, when they, when they you know, read in the paper that Facebook, you know, has uh, uh, allegedly violated the privacy agreement and, you know, they're getting all this Facebook has not violated anything. It's just the people are dumb and none of them spent any time reading the licensing agreement that they themselves signed with Facebook. Maybe you didn't sign it physically, but you clicked off, you know, a little box mm -hmm. that said you understood the rules of engagement. Well, when you read that, actually, and you know how many people read it? Zero percent. Zero. <laughs> You'll be horrified to learn what you signed. Facebook simply swallows everything that somehow clarifies information about you. Look at Microsoft. How many people know a program called Cassandra? I don't think many. No. Cassandra is a program that absorbs every drop of your information <clears throat> on Facebook. See, Microsoft needed to analyze and dissect you, so they created their own program to invade your privacy. You have Open Graph, which connects Facebook account, you know, to all the things you do within and without Facebook. You have eBay, PayPal, Skype. That's one company. eBay is scary because they know everything about your financial situation. They know your bank account. They know your credit cards. They know everything. You know, Google, that's a, you know, everybody talks about Google. But Google, it's not even a corporation. It's, it's a government on, 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 onto itself. And it's an integral part of the United States security apparatus. So when you actually put all these things together, you know, Google owns about 80 companies right now. Uh, people have to understand that the stuff is being done to us uh, as a result of technological advancement and the internet is absolutely amazing, especially for control purposes. In the old days, you know, detectives needed to, you know, sift through your garbage to find some useful information. They don't need to do that today. They know everything about you because we are an open book. And we're actually an open book because most of us, because we're too dumb to understand it, post everything about our lives for free. No one even asked us for it. We have our photographs, you know, photographs of our family, our children, our boyfriends, you know, things we did on our holidays. It's all up there on the internet. It's Stasi's wet dream come true. And we do it all for free so because... You know, uh, shame doesn't exist anymore. And we tweet all the goddamn day because we somehow feel that like our tweets are an expression of our innermost, 
you know, uh, thoughts. Uh, we think of ourselves as Shakespeare and Nabokov, where for the most part, 90% of people's tweets are, you know, degeneracy personified, you know, put together by, you know, dumbwits who have never had an original thought in their lives. So are we like the we're like the frogs in slowly boiling water then, you know where where by the time we realize that it's boiling it's too, it's too late to jump out. I think the, you know the, the the times they're accelerating tremendously right now because again, as technology improves, it's directly proportional to the time it takes to do something. So for the old days, it took us I don't know whatever imagine ten years to do something. Today it's maybe six months, and the next uh, uh, year it's going to be a week. And, you know, every, we, we've learned more in the last 50 years mm-hmm. than the entire history of mankind. And in the next 20 years, we will have learned more than in these 50, which is more than the entire history of mankind. And in about a generation and a half, we're going to get to the point where we're going to be learning more every six months than in the history of mankind. And that's a scary thing because, again, most people, when I say most people, I, you know, say about 99% of the population they don't know anything about technology nothing they know nothing about technology they have no idea how it runs how it works what it can be used for and again the people who do you know the futurists that's why they're called futurists it's uh uh it's it's not a dying out breed on the contrary and you know these are these are the you know a cream of the crop of society people who see very clearly you know where mankind is going and because if you kind of go back in history, and again, history is, is, is an amazing thing. We have to understand history in order to be able to control the future. Uh, and globalists certainly do. You know, if you kind of go back to, uh, to uh, Louis XI in France in 1460s, I mean, in one generation, because of all the changes, you know, the, the, that, that men made uh, in France, such as uh, social welfare, you know, uh, a constitution, <clears throat> and... Uh, 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 you had in one generation, France doubled its population mm. and it became until 1815, the greatest country, most important and most powerful country in every discipline out there. And so the globalists understand this. Mm. They know it very, very well because they certainly know history and they understand 
that in order to control the future of humanity, they must control all the levers of power. And this is exactly what they're doing. Hmm. Because, and again, this divide between them and us is greater than ever. And the reason it's greater than ever is because we're dumber than ever. And we know less than we ever did, although we have access to all this knowledge in front of us. But we don't do anything to learn, you know, to, to, to educate ourselves. And because, the, you know, the, the system, the education system in schools has been debased most people don't even know how to read anymore. I don't even mean like writing because, you know, I find myself in a situation where often people tell me, you know, I, I, I forgot how to write. I sit all day type. So I don't know how to write with a pen. And just think what that means. If somebody said to you a hundred years ago, they couldn't write, you know, something on a piece of paper, you call them illiterate. Well, that's what we are today. We are illiterate. And this is being done on purpose. So, okay. So the, the globalists that are doing this, some, some of them, your contacts, have have either woken up or they've decided that they don't want to play this game. So what about more of them waking up? You know, what what about a chance that some of them will have near-death experiences and realize that we're all connected or they'll have some sort of spiritual awakening? You know, why don't we why don't we throw psilocybin? Why don't we why don't we fill yeah, their water in one of the Billa, Bilderberg meetings full of psilocybin? And I bet you the agenda will change once they realize like you know, as Bilderberg is, uh, it's, uh, um, it was a, you know, it was a good book and, you know, it, it'll certainly, you know, make me happy for the rest of my life and, you know, put food on my table forever. But, uh, it's, um, you know, I, I kind of, you know, um, people misunderstood Bilderberg because, you know, again, they thought, ah, here's the evil eye, here's the all seeing eye. And, you know, these are the geezers around the world. They don't run anything. Bilderberg is, is, is an important meeting. It was a lot more important back in the 1950s and the sixties when the you know group was founded than it is today, because today it's run by some pretty stupid people. But yeah, I wanted to ask you about that. Cause it seems to me like it's a lower level. Like there's, there's much more going on above that. Well, yeah, you know, you're absolutely right. It's uh Bilderberg isn't a uh, <clears throat> conspiracy theory. It's a conspiracy reality. Uh, it's certainly not the top of any pyramid. It's it's uh, <clears throat> more uh, more conveyor belt than anything else. That's a good way to put <laughs> it. Said, you know, it, it was important element of the oligarchical structures of the Cold War period, and uh, that in and of itself is is a pretty significant factor because what it meant was that it was a vehicle through which private financier oligarchical interests were able to impose their policies on what is nominally sovereign governments. And I guess the uh, the biggest scandal part of, of, of the Bilderberg conspiracy <clears throat> back then was that it was initially, you know, when it was first founded in 1954, it was heavily populated by people who came out of the old World War II Nazi apparatus. People such as uh, uh, Prince Bernard, uh, husband of uh, uh, Queen Julia at the time, uh, the uh, uh, the the queen of of the Netherlands, <clears throat> he was a uh, Bernard was an SS uh, card carrying member, and uh, he was actually one of the you know founders of Bilderberg. Uh, Walter Holstein, who was the first president of the European Commission, he was actually a, a Nazi lawyer back in <coughs> pre World War II period, and he wrote very important legal report which uh, hitler used as as a blueprint his own blueprint for the creation of concentration camps so these very nice individuals you know they uh came out of the world war ii nazi apparatus and they were basically cleaned up and dusted off and and employed to become hardcore of the cold war anti-soviet structures in the west so that's what bilderberg was uh, which was at the time it was founded you know a, a former nato alliance europe western europe united states 
and uh, in Canada. And then you have other organizations such as <clears throat> Trilateral Commission, uh, which includes Americas, North and South America, uh, Europe, and then Asia, Oceania, and, and Africa. Uh, and then you have the Council of Foreign Relations, which is American version of Bilderberg, which only includes you know the American elitists, which you know was founded back in 1919. But uh, all of these organizations, you know, these Penai Circle, Bohemian Grove, you know, that Alex Jones like to talk about always Bohemian Grove. But, uh, <laughs> you know, and, you know, these uh, globalists, they want to control us and they want to kill us off and they're all lizards. And, well, you know, I, I don't know if they're lizards. I, I don't think, you know, they're lizards at all. But, you know, I, I, I think they're very intelligent people. Not all of them, some of them, but they certainly have a plan. And, and, uh, that plan includes everything you know related to control and population reduction, but uh, it's not the objective itself. I mean, because again, let, let, you know, let's think about it. If you kind of extrapolate what we know about the world, okay, so the, you know, a Rockefeller company they want to reduce population, so they kill most of us off, and we didn't, you know, we don't figure it out until it's too late, and so they kill us off and they bury us, and that's it. Okay, perfect, done. And then what? What's the next step? I mean, the objective can be just, you know, to reduce the population. Somebody has to do something with, you know, with the rest of the population. Uh, you know, so what are you going to do with the rest of the people? And why do you need all these amazing technologies if you're going to, you know, get rid of us? And then what are you going to do? <clears throat> Turn on each other and kill each other off until you're just like, you know, there's this one big fat globalist who controls the world that, you know, that nobody lives in. It can't, you know, be the objective. And, and unfortunately, people are, are too far, you know, short-sighted to, uh, to, to realize that these are steps, intermediary steps. But the step and what these people are after, and, you know, kind of brings me about, you know, to what, what you mentioned earlier, is the very concept of immortality. What does it mean to be immortal? How do we understand immortality? And these are some of the metaphysical questions that I ask in the book, and you know, one of the unsettling, I guess, elements of trans evolution is when you finish the book, unlike Bilderberg, when you finish the just and it said, ah, okay, I know who these people are. You know, these are the bad guys, these are the good guys. But with trans evolution, the coming age of human deconstruction, you come to the end of the book, and suddenly, because you become wiser for it, you have a lot more questions than you have answers, because we are dealing with the future. And the point is, how do you understand immortality? What does it mean to be immortal? Does it mean to uh, to live forever, as they do in in, in that film? Uh, 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 what's it called? Uh, uh, um, I with Christopher Lambert, um, Highlander. Oh, Highlander. Yeah. <laughs> you know, is that like you know you get to be a thousand years old, you look like you're forty two. It's like wow, you know, you don't age very much. But uh, or does it mean that you know you cross yourself a hundred times a day? And when you, you know, when the balcony falls on your head and you die, your soul goes to heaven. I don't know. Nobody ever came back and said, hey, Daniel, this is how it is. You know, you cross yourself many times a day and you're going to come back and you're going to live forever. Well, I don't know. No one's ever told me that this is how it works. I don't think so in any case. But, you know, immortality to me <clears throat> means the need for, 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 for our species to assure the survival of our species. Because if you extrapolate planet Earth, and population, you know, let, let's go 50 years into the future. Are we going to be here? Yes. 100 years? Yes. 200 years? Yes. How about 200,000 years? I, you know, can you guarantee me that we're still going to be here? How about 200 million years from now? Because we have enough solar power 
to last four and a half billion years. So theoretically, we could be here <clears throat> 200 million years from now without any problems. <clears throat> because, But we won't be because we'll have limited space and limited resources. So there's going to come a point in our development where we, the people of the planet Earth, are going to have to get in our little ships, like we'll get in our little cars, and instead of going to, I don't know, Edmonton or Muskoka on holidays, we're going to have to emigrate and conquer the galaxies. We're going to have to go to the moon. We're going to have to build bases there. We're going to have to go to Mars, conquer the, you know, the solar system, and then go out there so that you know a million or a billion years from now, there's truly gazibilly million, I don't know if the number exists, well, it does now, Okay, people living in every nook and corner of the galaxy, that's immortality. And the elitists understand this. And so, you know, they, uh, their point is, if you start reducing the population, on the one hand, <clears throat> you want to make sure that they create immortality because they understand we don't have the technology today to, uh, uh, <clears throat> to extend our life beyond 100 years or 120 years. But they understand immortality differently than we understand immortality because they don't care about their physical appearance. They don't care if they get to be like in that film Prometheus, the guy, you know, he wakes up, he looks like he's like, I don't know, 600 years old. That's not how they understand immortality. They don't care about their hair, the wrinkles on their face. They don't care about that. Their immortality is different. Their idea of living forever is being able to upload your brain transplanted into some kind of an avatar and live forever in cyberspace. That's what this film Transcendence is all about. It's your consciousness being able to, you know, understand that you're out there consciously. That's what consciousness is. Without the that's, body, yeah. That's an immortality concept to them. And that's why they're working so hard, you know, at getting to these, you know, uh, through these projects such as you know, Russia 2045, which we talked initially, mm -hmm. and it, you know, that kind of runs all the stuff. Now, I don't, I don't mean runs all the stuff in a sense of some old geezer sitting in a dark room, you know, pulling levers as in Batman and Robin film controlling humanity. No, I don't mean that at all. As <laughs> a man by the name of Ray Kurzweil, who is you know the the uh, the tech director for uh, for Google and uh, mm -hmm. uh, one of the uh, most brilliant minds in uh, uh, you know the last fifty years. I'm one of the most important inventors in history. And he's a kind of a poster child for uh, uh, transhumanism. Transhumanist movement. But there's so many people out there, you know, Jason Silva, uh, Mishukako, who is a, a theoretical uh, a physicist. Uh, um, uh, and, uh, you know, there's just so many people out there. But these scientists, they're convinced that we are very close to understanding the principles of consciousness. They're convinced that by, by the year 2035, we'll be able to transfer our personality to an alternative carrier, meaning an avatar. And they call this period the epoch of cybernetic immortality. And literally in one generation, bodies made of nanorobots will be able to take shape or rise alongside hologram bodies. And by 2045, that's, that's like you know uh, 30 years from now, we will see complete changes in social structure. And again, the main priority of this development for these people is spiritual self-improvement. They call this a new era of neo-humanity. And basically, you know, it's a three-step process. 
First, what they want to do is to incrementally move the human mind into a more disembodied, uh, and I guess no better way to say it, futuristic vehicles. First, a humanoid robot controlled entirely by human brain via brain-machine interface. That's the first step. <clears throat> then a conscious human brain transplanted into a humanoid robot. Just think about that, getting our brain and putting it into a robot. Then consciousness itself uploaded to a computer. And finally, a hologram that contains a full conscious human mind. And again, uh, with, the, with the stuff out there, what they're doing is they're creating a new vector for civilization aimed at future human development and evolution by integrating all of these discoveries in sciences and physics and energetics, aeronautics, bioengineering, nanotechnology, neurology, cybernetics, cognitive sciences. And that's what transhumanist movement is really all about. So it's not some, you know, some grisly thing put together by a mad scientist, kind of a, you know, mix of, of uh, Dr. Frankenstein and, you know, uh, and uh, uh, Dr. Moreau. Yeah. It's it's a, it's a very different metaphysical concept, and once you you know begin to understand these concepts, it's it's awe inspiring on the one hand, but frightening on the other. Have you seen any evidence for uh, artificial biological entities yet created by like Lockheed Martin or anything like that? I've been hearing sort of rumors of that conspiracy coming about. <clears throat> uh, look, uh, you know, if you could talk about. Uh, uh, <clears throat> neuroscience. That's uh, you know that that's a good example of what's being done out there. <clears throat> and uh, by the way, there's of course you know if we want to talk about neuroscience, there's already a, a TV series on Fox which deals with that. It's called uh, Almost Human. I don't know if you guys have seen that. Heard about it? If you haven't, check it out. It's it's uh, it's fascinating. It's you know one of the main characters is a cyborg cop. Now. The key element of the series is neuroscience, which is a study of the nervous system. But today, uh, with the advances in chemistry and computer sciences and engineering, medicine, and so many other disciplines, uh, neuroscience now includes the study of the molecular, cellular, developmental, structural, functional, evolutionary, computational, and medical aspects of the nervous system. So, basically... Uh, from molecular and cellular studies of individual nerve cells to imaging of sensory and motor tasks in the brain, neuroscience has crossed the threshold of science and has become a key element of national security apparatus the world over. And so you have you know, this, you know, development of this sophisticated neural weapons, uh, which have, you know, literally emerging themselves this neurotechnology with, with humans and we're creating you know men machine cyborg uh warriors on the battlefield so this stuff already exists and for example uh many countries in south america a part of the uh, curriculum in uh, in military academies are now talking about irregular warfare but when i say irregular for warfare i mean you know the taliban and bin laden on the one hand and you know, and, and an armed uh, an army on the other. No, they mean men fighting cyborgs, cyborgs yeah. men armies fighting men machine armies, uh, men machine armies using nanotech uh, uh, techno nanotech uh, insects, for example. You know, uh, uh, fighting uh, cyborgs. You know, with uh, who have been uh, augmented uh, technologically. This is the wars of the future. When I say the future, 
I don't mean, you know, like in the far Star away. Wars. Yeah, you're talking close. You like Star Wars long, long time ago or no, I mean like short, short time from now, three, five years from now. Yeah. And a lot of stuff is to get out there. And all you need to do is look at some of the technologies out there uh, being developed as a result of this incredible uh, stuff, revolution, I guess, uh, in, you would call it in, uh, in nanotechnology. Well, that's kind of what I was getting at is that, uh, you know, they talk about the white world and the black world and how the black world is 30 to 50 years ahead of what's in the white world. And now we're coming across all like your book has all this stuff that's basically there already or on the drawing board. So you wonder what they've already developed. They develop most of that stuff that we see, in, you know, in, in anything that's out there in film. Yeah. They've, they've already developed, you know, look, look, just to give you an example, <clears throat> augmented reality. Okay. As we talked earlier in the, uh, in the Schwarzenegger's, uh, um, uh, Terminator, yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, you know, uh, <clears throat> you know, whenever you like, see a character, you like, you do a scan and have all this information about these people. Well, augmented reality is this melting of the real world with computer generated imagery. I need us to say, the, you know, the United States Defense Department, they're using this technology, not only for superhuman vision, but uh, as a system that basically creates a new dimension for fighting on a battlefield. And the system works in conjunction, for example, with glasses that project an image or information onto the lens or display screen. And this project has far-reaching military applications for DARPA, such as enabling soldiers on the ground to see images generated by drones or satellites to complex situational awareness systems, encompassing features such as friend-foe identification, multiple sensory interfaces, location intelligence, and interactive battlefield medical support. You know, something like what Arnold Schwarzenegger, again, you know, character had in Terminator. Now, these technologies are being converged on the battlefield. You know, think about it. For example, you have a communication network that connects every one of the soldiers and puts together an ad hoc self-healing mesh network. Every time a soldier engages in combat, their data packets would hop from one to another. And the soldier vehicles would have bi-directional amplifiers and antennas in them that could communicate to a command post on operational center. In other words, for the first time, soldiers in the tactical operations center command post could see and direct warfare in real time remotely almost as a video game and this stuff is real it exists today which is one of the reasons why soldiers you know when we see soldiers in iraq or afghanistan or you know even on the streets of america you know they look like some you know futuristic warrior from a hollywood film because they have all the stuff on them well all the stuff on them is the technology that they're carrying, which is getting smaller and smaller, uh, which needless to say is going to make it easier and easier to integrate all these elements because in the near, near future, you won't need all this stuff. You know, you can just upload all that information onto a chip, which will be implanted into your head. Hmm. So I, I do want to ask you, because we talk about this a lot on, on our show is uh, like the, the UFO secrecy and all that kind of stuff. So when you're doing all this investigation and the, with the Bilderbergers or who's even above them and the secret societies and all this technology, like, did you come across like these groups must overlap? Like I, I truly think that there's a, there's a genuine phenomenon going on. There's stuff flying around in our skies that, that we can't explain whether it's interdimensional or, or ET or black budget craft, 
Like, did you come across any of that? Like, are the, the secret keepers of that must be overlapping with who you're talking about, who has this global agenda? Yeah. You know, I'm very careful when it, when it comes to these, because <clears throat> you know, I'm, I'm very conscious how easy it is to, uh, how hard it is to, you know, to, to, uh, to gain credibility and how easy it is to lose right, it. Right, right, right. And uh, not because I don't believe in the UFOs and I just don't know anything about it or don't know enough, you know, to to, <clears throat> to shoot my mouth off. But uh, <clears throat> I think, uh, you know, if they existed or if they exist, they certainly wouldn't be like, you know, what, what we see in Hollywood films like, you know, the world of worlds with Tom Cruise or these, you know, giant things come from the sky because uh, technology is getting more and more sophisticated but at the same time it's getting smaller and smaller it's also a logical progression and think back to the early 1990s when you know people had their first cell phones it kind of looked like you know i i, I don't know like a mini refrigerator okay yeah, yeah it's just it was enormous and today a suitcase a suitcase yeah exactly yeah, like a suitcase and today i mean it's 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 silly just to compare today's smartphone with what's in it to some, you know, these original phones back in 1993 with these huge buttons, which, you know, it's you, I wouldn't know what to do with these things today. <clears throat> but the point is, if whatever is out there actually exists in a superior level, they'll be so small because it'll be so advanced that we won't be able to see them. And I think that's the point that people have to understand because if we go beyond, you know, the, uh, uh, <clears throat> the, the cliches and into the netherworld of, of technology, Okay, and you know, just look at what nanotechnology means and what it actually <clears throat> represents. And I don't know how many people know what nano is, so maybe I very, very quickly explain yeah, it. Sure, go yeah, for it. yeah, let's do that. <clears throat> nano is a is um, people have heard the terminology nanotechnology just as I've heard the terminology transhumanist. They just don't know what the hell it means. Well, nano is a space measured between one atom and four hundred atoms. Now, think of the planet Earth on a new scale. For example, a billionth of one meter. It's distance also between the moon and the earth, which is a billion meters. That's a day's travel. But the difference between a meter and a billionth of a meter, which is what nanoscale is, that takes about, I don't know, two seconds to get there. And you compare it to the human hair, a nanometer is 100,000 times smaller than your strand of hair. And what happens at a nanometer scale, everyday materials start to act in unimaginable ways. So the behavior of these nanomaterials, it can change when the size becomes so small as compared to the larger amount of that same material. It is a space in which uh, quantum behavior begins to replace the Newtonian physics. You see, in any direction you go, if you go far enough, whether up or down, you know, bigger or smaller, I mean, you hit kind of, you know, the wall limits said by physical law, it calls, it's called Moore's law, whether we're talking about quantum mechanics, speed of light, gravitational forces, but with the advent of new science and technology related to genetic revolution, we can literally rewrite our genetic construct. So in a span of a generation, we've gone from genetically modified plants to genetically modified animals, and now the next step is genetically modified humans. And all of this stuff is done through nanotechnology. And because nano is so small, and because, again, uh, the behavior of these nanoparticles and nanoscales change completely. And, you know, when you compare large quantities of a material to small quantity of a material, if these beings or whatever you want to call them actually exist, 
They'll be so tiny, living in a different dimension that will be invisible to a human eye, at least right now in our development, you know, as far as technology is concerned. So anybody we're talking about UFOs, as we, you know, we've been talking about UFOs for the last 70 years, no? You know, everybody sees, you know, UFO the same way. You know, some funny looking guy with, you know, long arms and <clears throat> this one eye. I, I, I don't see that at all. I, I, I think, you know, if they're so advanced, they'll be so small that we won't be able to see it in our dimension. I like the way you explain that nanotechnology. I've never thought of it where that is the space where the quantum mechanics and the quantum principles start applying. That's pretty good. It's, it's, it's a space where uh, it replaces the Newtonian physics. Yeah. It's a space where what we understand, you know, about how the world works suddenly becomes very, very different. And because of nanomaterials today. Yeah, talk about the carbon uh, nanotubes a bit. Like when you, the way you describe that in your book, it really puts in a perspective how small and how strong these things are. Let, let, me, let me give you, a, you know, an even better example. Uh, you know, <clears throat> nanobots, which are bought as a robot, nanorobots, they were created to be like life, to be able to reproduce and to serve the needs of humanity. Now, the intelligence of nanotechnology is not in one nanorobot. It'll be a collective intelligence of trillions of nanorobots working together and pooling their thinking resources. Uh, so you can program these nanobots specifically, for example, for them to attack only people with certain characteristics. You know, they'll be like Hitler's, you know, what dream come true. They can be sent out. <laughs> take people out in most secure locations and once programmed nothing would stop them but the question is what about you know can we control them and the fear is that to breed they will need organic materials which is everywhere which means that they may reproduce themselves and as their numbers increase and go from millions to billions to trillions to gazillions to quadrillions they can turn on the environment around them as they begin to take on the life of their own so they can basically, okay, because nanoweapons attack a target at a molecular level and they use the molecules of their target as raw materials to replicate more, more copies of themselves, which is why it's so important to understand how nano works. So in this way, even a small amount of these replicators would immediately, you know, turn into quadrillions in a matter of seconds. And they would destroy everything in their way from plants to animals and obviously you know, people. And this is how wars will be fought in the very, in the very near future. So when we compare, for example, <clears throat> you know, today's terrifying technology such as uh, nuclear technology, everybody's afraid of nuclear war, and you compare nuclear technology to nanotechnology, they'll be like comparing, you know, bow and arrow to a guy with a bazooka, you know, or an M16 or a Kalashnikov. Simply no comparison at all. And the nano wars of the future will be fought at a terrifying level. And they can literally wipe out the entire planet Earth in a matter of seconds. And that's something that the elitists understand very, very well, which is, you know, makes me wonder, are they getting ready to leave the planet Earth? Because they know that something terrible is going to happen to us. Because I don't know if you guys are aware of this, but... Uh, I talk it, in, you know. I talk about it in the book, in in the third chapter, <coughs> or fourth chapter. When we're dealing about space exploration, is uh, in in two thousand eighteen. That's three and a half years from now. Uh, Mars One, that's a Dutch private company. They'll be sending 
a manned mission to Mars on a one-way trip. These people are going to go to Mars. They're going to get there. They're going to have their quick picnic, and they're going to start building the future of humanity. And they're never coming back because they're going to be building the next world for the next generations to come. And in 2023, that's like nine years from now, Russians and European Space Agency, they're going to do the same. They're getting ready to go to Mars as well with their one-way manned mission to Mars. So we're entering uncharted territory. And the Strategic Trends Report talked about this. They're saying that by the year 2050, you know, we'll be sending regular manned missions to Mars. 2050, that's like 35 years from now. You know, go back to the, you know, to, to the collapse of, of the Soviet Union. That was like in 1991. That's like almost 25 years ago. Well, add a little bit more mm -hmm. to that, you know, the eight years of Ronald Reagan's presidency, and you are in 2050. And what do we have? People living on Mars. And that's the future of humanity. So again, going back to what, you know, what I said in the beginning, we're looking at the greatest evolutionary change in the history of mankind. And what's coming in the next couple of years will shock absolutely everyone's understanding and belief system of the world itself. Graham actually may be among those living on Mars. If uh, he, he he's one of the Mars One applicants, or he used to be. No, my apply my application was rejected. Oh, was it really? Darren Darren thinks it's a scam. The Mars One thing. But... No, no, it's not a scam at all. <clears throat> it's not a scam. It's it's uh, <clears throat> if you if you kind of think about it, it, you know, it makes sense. We need to. Uh, if you think of the natural resources, for example, you know, we need to get to moon, we need to get Mars, uh, because moon has all the natural resources which we you know, could use on the planet Earth. And, uh, for example, uh, moon harbors enormous resources such as <clears throat> titan, aluminum, and iron. Water, you know, from the moon, from the asteroids, can fuel an in-space economy. And moon has decisive advantage, moon, Mars, everything out there, uh, relative to the planet Earth, because... When we're dealing with purification of these metals, which are found in raw materials or raw minerals that contain a lot of oxygen, but on Earth, the molten metal must be placed in a vacuum to achieve oxygen extraction, thereby obtaining the best mechanical and anti-corrosive qualities possible. But to do that, we need to create you know, vacuum, which is very, very expensive. But on the moon, because it has no atmosphere, the vacuum is free, and it is of much better quality than anything we can manufacture on Earth. And so with a perfectly purified lunar titan, we could build bridges on Earth that would last forever, forever. And this is possible only if the metal purification is achieved on the moon, which means we have to go to the moon. But there's another even more important reason. Moon harbors very important reserves of helium-3, which is an isotope. It is very rare on Earth, and it's the ideal element to realize nuclear fusion. So if you kind of look at at energy, <clears throat> you know, we went from uh, from wood to uh, carbon, <clears throat> coal to uh, uh, fossil fuels, which is oil, nuclear, and now the next step is is fusion and fission. And helium three, there's enough on the surface of the moon to last us two thousand years. You know, that's the energy needs of the planet Earth for the next two thousand years. <clears throat> and so when they're talking about fracking, for example. 
you know, somebody asked me in an interview the other day, what do you think of fracking? I said, I don't know. What should I think of fracking? And the guy said to me, well, I don't know. You're the expert. I said, I, I'm not. I, I'm an expert. <laughs> I'm, I'm an expert, but I'm not an idiot, which is why I'm asking you. And the reason I'm asking about fracking is why the hell would you want to do that to the environment when you can go to the moon and, you know, just scoop up helium three, you know, with a little, you know, baby shovel and bring it back to earth and you have enough. Okay which is helium-3 is a natural decay product of radioactive tritium and is the most effective and efficient for the production of thermonuclear weapons. So again, all of this depends on what we do with this technology and, and resources. We can use it as the energy source for humanity, or we can use it you know, to kill us all off by building nuclear weapons. Well, some people say we're already we're already going to the moon. I mean, a lot of conspiracy theorists would say, or even some people like uh, Richard Dolan, who really aren't that conspiratorial. They talk about the secret space program, or or the you know whoever's running the show here is already already leaving the atmosphere on a regular basis. I mean, I I, I wondered about the uh, the energy too. Like <clears throat> when you in your Bilderberg book, uh, the, all the you know the people seem to be worried about. Uh, the oil and the energy crisis. And that's what made me think, well, there's, there's people on top of that too, who are, who have been suppressing. I mean, all you hear about, you know, over the last 150 years is all these new energy technologies that have been suppressed or taken over from Tesla to T towns and Brown or whatever. Um, so yeah, something's going on at a higher level. Right. So I, I don't know. What do you think about that? I, you know, I think uh, one of the, again, <clears throat> I, uh, you know, I have my thoughts and, and reservations about some of these ideas, but I don't, you know, uh, they're never part of, uh, of public forum for one very simple reason, not because I'm a conspiracy theorist or globalist or part of Bilderberg Group, but because, again, you know, to, to maintain and to preserve one's credibility, you know, in, in, in the public arena, you know, because I'm not some, you know, some, some, some guy who works, you know, in, in a, I don't know, in a vacuum store and then comes home and, you know, just talks all this nonsense on the internet. And he can do that because he's a nobody. Yeah, but because yeah. I am who I am, I have to be very careful about the things I say, which means that unless I can prove it yeah. and show it, you know, and to have documents to demonstrate it, I keep these thoughts to myself because it's just too easy to discredit. Because if, if I said that and somebody said, well, how, you know, can you show it to me? No, I can't. Well, if you can't show it to me, it's a conspiracy theory. It's not a conspiracy theory. It's a theory. And I think there's a lot of, you know, possibilities that things are going out there, going on out there, you mm -hmm. know, that we don't know enough about. Right. And it's very possible that, you know, secret missions uh, have already been taking place for a while. It makes sense because the technology is there and the possibility exists. 
And if the possibility exists, which means there's no reason to think why, you know, this can't be done. And just because they're talking publicly about Mars One and all these other uh, missions, mm-hmm. you know, critical missions to Moon and Mars, <clears throat> it, it, you know, it probably means that, you know, they've had the technology and they've been able to do this uh, away from, you know, from, from, from the glare of cameras for quite a while now, because otherwise they wouldn't be talking about it now. But what, what is absolutely, you know, is, is certain is that there's just so many corporations out there both public and private, you know, such as Planetary Resources, Golden Spy Company, they're working around the clock on a landing mission to the moon and also the mission-critical projects of asteroid mining. And and and, uh, and again, it takes us into a completely different realm of technology because, uh, you know, it, it makes this uh, uh, war for resources on the planet Earth irrelevant because we have an entire universe of resources which are far richer than anything we have on earth because again there's no atmosphere up there which we can use for the betterment of humanity on the one hand but also to use that uh, uh, energy sources and, and, and raw materials and natural resources to start building you know bases and building advanced uh, 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 detachment camps on the, on the moon and the mars for future uh, conquest of space by humanity, which I think is a is a very necessary thing, because I don't know if you guys saw that film 2012, 2012 about you know the Maya prophecies, which is a pretty another stupid film, but uh, there was this one great scene in it where you have you know the world is going to hell in a handbasket, uh, everything is exploding all, all all around them. You have a few privileged you know billionaires getting ready to uh, to embark on these arcs, Noah's arcs which were built for them, you know, at a billion dollars per seat. Mm-hmm. And you see all these, you know, sheiks and their families and their wives and burkas and all the, you know, this, and they're all getting ready to, you know, to mount these and, you know, so, so they can actually write it out. Well, that was the only kind of scene which I thought to myself, wow, this is like, you know, if you extrapolate it to our world. Guaranteed you know, that'd be happening. Yeah. What, what is it that they know that we don't? So if they're talking about a manned mission to Mars, well, you know, that's that's for public consumption. Mm-hmm. For private consumption, maybe they're getting ready to do exactly the same thing, except we won't be there to see it happen because they'll be like, you know, uh, launching themselves from, you know, some pad which they own somewhere in the middle of the Atlantic and uh, we don't even know that it exists. And the point is, is that I have no doubts that this is being prepared and put together. I don't know whether it's on a massive scale, mm-hmm. on a smaller scale, I think Rockefeller is too old, you know, to do this. He's a hundred years old now, but uh, <coughs> somebody is getting ready to do something, you know, we're just not exactly sure what. Hmm. Interesting. Hey, before I forget, I want to ask you about a couple, I want to switch gears a little bit and ask you about a couple more current event type things. So, so first of all, when, when we started this interview and we were talking about the surveillance state, I mean, you, you take that to a really, really deep level. So it made me think of, just recently over the last year with the Snowden revelation and all that, was that something that surprised you? Were you expecting it? What, like, what do you, what do you think about it? Was it orchestrated? Um, Do they want us to know about some of it to test us? Like, what are your thoughts on, on the last year, how this is all coming to light? 
I, I, you know, because I come, I come from uh, the world of military counterintelligence, and uh, um, I spent twelve years in uh, <clears throat> in military counterintelligence. So you know, it doesn't surprise me at all, and it doesn't surprise anyone out there who knows anything about this stuff, and it certainly doesn't surprise any government out there. It may surprise people, but then again, people don't know anything beyond you know the 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 the, the, the trivial <clears throat> whatever whatever they do twenty four seven. But. Uh, uh, the point is that you know, actually, you know, if you go back, you know, before Snowden, you go back to <clears throat> Julian Assange, and I wrote a book actually deconstructing WikiLeaks uh, because you know, that whole Assange operation was was U.S. government operation, and, and this isn't a conspiracy theory. I proved it in my book, uh, deconstructing WikiLeaks, that <clears throat> it's simply not serious for any of us who understand how things work. You know, because again, how did uh, WikiLeaks become an operation? How did they, you know, get their uh, credibility out there for, you know, for the people to say, yeah, these people are for real? Well, if you remember that video, you know, the famous video where the American uh, helicopter, Apache helicopter, was, yeah. you know, shooting unarmed uh, innocent people in, in Iraq. <clears throat> well, we were told that a guy by the name of, uh, well, he's not a guy anymore. He's a girl. He's a woman now. Or, Bradley Manning. Chelsea. Yeah. Chelsea Manning. Well, this is like, you know, a transformation in itself. That's like, you know, that's like goddamn gory. It's Christ almighty, you know. Uh, but, you know, whatever that thing is, you know, Manning, Manning thing, uh, you know, was, who spent <clears throat> eight months in the base in Kuwait uh, with low-level clearance operating this high eyes-only information, uh, and was able to download it all without anybody noticing during an eight-month period as he was l listening to Lady Gaga. I mean, you have to be pretty stupid to believe this nonsense. But again, most people are, and of course, it's easy you know, to convince them because uh, the, you know, the, the, the theory goes that if they arrest him, if they persecute him, they try to go after him, then he must be a good guy because you know, if he's one of them, they wouldn't want to arrest him. That's that's you know that's how the well, the common thinking goes. But that's in the world of smoke and mirrors, in the world of intelligence operations, that's not how it goes. And you know, uh, Julian Assange. Where did Assange come from? Assange came from is Australian, and when he was a kid, he belonged. His mother belonged. When he belonged, because you know, by association with his mother, to this cult <clears throat> called Al and Hamilton Byrne, and that cult. <clears throat> was basically a front uh, for the CIA, you know, mind control experiments. And uh, the people who were in it, several of them were CIA agents who formed part of this, you know, part of this experiment. And Assange, when he was like 16 years old, <clears throat> 15 years old, he uh, was part of this group of people called Chaos Computer Club in Hamburg. Uh, and the guy who was the uh, <clears throat> the head of Chaos Computer Club is uh, a guy by the name of uh, Koch, and the name may not ring a bell, but uh, you've certainly heard of the Trojan virus, right? Uh huh. You know, these are the nasty viruses that destroy your 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 operating systems. Sneak well, in the back well, door, and then that's right. Well, Koch is the guy who actually developed the you know the Trojan virus, and he was the first let's say, true blue hacker in world's history. And so he was actually working <clears throat> for the Soviet KGB back in the late 19, uh, 1980s, uh, before the, uh, the, the, the Berlin Wall came down. And so the Russians, or the Soviets, would pay him uh, $100,000 in cash 
you know, in a bag of co- cocaine because he was a coke, coke addict. And, you know, he would you know, break into any systems out there, you'd be it on the Alamo, <clears throat> a European Space Agency, anything they wanted, he'd get it for them. And uh, so Assange was part of this operation. He wasn't a hacker at the time, but he was, but he was, you know, just getting getting started in, in, in the business. But, uh, yeah, you know, so when he appeared, and of course, you know, because, because I, I come from, from uh, uh, from uh, Soviet intelligence, <clears throat> uh, we knew because you know when we went through the uh, military school academy. You had to study some of these famous cases, Kim Philby, you know, people like that. No, and uh, so when I saw Assange appear, I think it was like two thousand seven or two thousand and eight. I saw him on television. I thought to myself, wait a minute, I know this guy. You know, we, I know this case history. You know, uh, we studied this case. It's like you know, think back. I know you guys are from Calgary, and uh, just you know, think back. You know, to like you were 15 years old, you went to school, or 16, you had some you know guy went to school with you, or some just mm-hmm. some dumbass, you know, stupid drug head. He was into any you know stealing and drugs and you know all kinds of you know. And then suddenly you seemed on television 30 years later, and he's like you know this Bible stopper, you know, who wants to become the president or the prime minister of Canada. And you say to yourself, hey, I know this guy. He was, you know, he was like a, you know, a whore, a drug addict. And suddenly he's, you know, he's portrayed as this, you know, this, this, this revolutionary clean cut, you know, a uh, uh, good, good, you know, a family values guy. And you say something is not right. So when I saw Assange, I said to myself, this can't be right. And I went, went back and, you know, went over his case history and started digging a little bit deeper. I didn't have to go that deep. And I realized that the whole thing was a pantomime, that, uh, you know, it's, it was just a way to rewrite history, a way to make sure that the history which was being rewritten, you know, could be controlled by you, in this case, by the U.S. government. Because, <clears throat> for example, and I'm not saying that Assange worked for the CIA. I'm not saying that at all. Okay. That'll be a silly conspiracy mm-hmm. theory. Mm-hmm. I'm saying that you can, you know, control people through a cutouts without them even knowing it. So the fact that somebody gave, you know, this thingy man, manly, whatever, you know, I don't even know what to call it. It, it's not a he, she, it's an it, okay? And uh, uh, keys, you know, to, to, uh, uh, to you know, to, to a safe, it doesn't mean that this guy was a genius. It means somebody wanted him there, yeah. getting a certain information out because they controlled what he had access to. And that's the information he got out. And people are saying, well, there's just so much stuff out there. You know, they're talking, you know, uh, badly about the United States government. They're done talking. There's nothing in all of these documents released by WikiLeaks, when you really look at it, mm-hmm. worth anything. There's a few documents which compromise, to a certain extent, American security. But hey, if you're going to play for keeps... And if you're going to have people believe or fall for your trick, you have to give them something. You know, and that, what I mean? and that gives them the the power also to tighten it gives them the bona fides. Yeah. It gives them the bona fides, you know, to say, "Hey, this guy's bad." Okay. And then what they did is they they, they basically folded the WikiLeaks operation into the anonymous operation, which is just an extension, you know, of the yeah, WikiLeaks yeah, operation. Yeah. And so that you know brings us to Snowden, and I'm convinced that Snowden, to a lot, you know, to a greater extent. You know, he's also in the same boat, which is one of the reasons why Putin, who comes from KGB and who is a very, very intelligent man, which is why, you know, they've given 
uh, Snowden asylum. But, you know, the government has, you know, kind of kept them at arm's length because, as Putin said, you know, there's nothing in anything that, you know, Snowden has revealed, which we didn't know. And that's absolutely true. Right. That said, OK, and people are wondering where I'm going with this. If you look at, you know, the the technology out there, if you look at at uh, uh, controlling the technology, especially us, cell phones are one of the three most important breakthroughs in the surveillance game. The others are GPS and the ability to watch us. So you have <coughs> new search capabilities and indexes, you know, including translation, speech recognition technology, text recognition and videos. These are some of the latest innovations which have changed the rules of the game. Smart cameras, for example, with block recognition of numbers, letters and faces, to massive high-speed databases. It basically puts everyone on the grid. And the main thing that people don't realize is that today, Nothing is removed, nothing is erased, and nothing is forgotten. Everything we've ever done, every stupid picture we've posted, every nasty blog on a bad day, an off-color joke, every text, everything is kept forever. And not just kept forever, it's stored, <coughs> and not just stored, it's indexed and linked and tied to your name forever. A profile is created of you in a database available to the governments and intelligence community worldwide. And you haven't even done anything yet. Imagine if you actually do something, you know, worth doing, how much on you that these people will be. <laughs> and that worth doing can change over time. So you know, <laughs> what, what was uh, not worth doing today may might be, be worth doing tomorrow Yeah, and vice versa. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, okay. The other one, I mean, that's, that's fascinating. Thank you for getting into all that. The other one I wanted to ask you about is uh, lately these uh, high level uh, bankers. Oh yeah. Have, yeah. The uh, banker suicide. Either suicides or suicided or whatever. But I just thought I'd ask you about that too. If you uh, have any thoughts on what, what the fuck is going on there. Yeah. There's been a, you know, it's, 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 it's a, it's a bit, uh, it's uh, an anomaly. You'd say, no, when you have like six or seven bankers or I think it's not 14. <clears throat> oh, wow. Wow. Yeah. And I've, uh, um, some in the States, others, uh, <clears throat> in France and Germany and, uh, uh, in Japan, <clears throat> and uh, it's interesting because uh, I think uh, from what I've been able to gather, just you know, talking to people who who understand that there is actually a great online community called CIA Drugs, CIA you know uh, uh, dash Drugs, and uh, <clears throat> a lot of people who form part of this group are you know former intelligence officers, people you know spooks, people who know how the world, you know, is, runs. And, uh, if, you know, the audience, if people are interested just to join the group, you know, I, I think it's uh, certainly doesn't, you don't have to pay any money. There's no, you know, initiation, like with Skull Bones, you have to lie, you know, <clears throat> in, a, in, in, in a hole and they cover you up with shit, you know, to become a <laughs> worthy contributor to Skull and Bones. But uh, uh, it's called CIA, you know, drugs. But... Uh, from what I've been able to gather, just reading some of the posts uh, on, on the on their site, is that uh, a lot of these people, you know, uh, were in positions which were mission critical, you know, uh, as far as uh, you know the big picture is concerned. So each of them had, you know, a, a tiny piece of the puzzle, but because 
the globalists are reorganizing the world economy in a way which is what we're seeing right now you know demand destruction and so on and so forth uh creating this you know universal blocks of financial blocks like europe is no longer you know countries but one big country controlled by the european union which is the first president was this nazi walter Hallstein we talked about earlier <clears throat> so these individuals who killed themselves they were all members of important institutions, financial institutions, and they had access to certain information uh, which allowed them to do their job. But once that job was done, they became expendable. And that's how conspiracies work. You know, the guys, you know, the, the uh, I don't know if you saw that film, uh, uh, The Shooter with... Uh, with uh, Wahlberg, <clears throat> Mark Wahlberg. Oh, Wahlberg, yeah. That was a great film. Yeah, it was I, a good one. I, I keep talking about Hollywood films, but... Uh, no, it's a good but, reference point because you know sometimes they're. I think a lot. I think all the time, and, and again, we're not talking about you know driving Miss Daisy. Okay, I'm talking <laughs> about uh, you know, like uh, you know the, uh, the whatever it is, the real world of Mr. Magoo. Talking about you know techno technological films, uh, where if you want to hide things, you do it in plain sight. And uh, the shooter was a, a great film because. You know, when they, when they went to uh, see that uh, expert in ammunition and arms, you know, and, and he talks to them and he says, you know, they asked them how, how, you know, certain thing could be done, you know, with, with a bullet, how they could kill someone, you know, leaving the marks, you know, on another gun and uh, uh, <clears throat> another weapon. And, uh, you know, they, they got into talking about the uh, uh, the conspiracy of, of killing JFK. And uh, and so they said to me, remember, he said, you know, that would be a bad job to take. He said, why? Because the guys who, you know, who killed them, they're probably dead now. And so the other guy, you know, he said, well, why is that? He said, well, that's, you know, remember the three guys on the grassy knoll? He said, yeah, you know, they're dead and buried three hours after, you know, after the shooting. And, and the guy said to him again, he said, well, how do you know that? He said, still got the shovel. <laughs> <laughs> so that was, a, that was a great line. And uh, I think that's how conspiracies work. You know, uh, you, you, you're always going to be killed off by somebody above you. And uh, so these are bad jobs to take, no matter how much money they pay you, because I don't think your life is worth a million bucks, you know, for a two-year contract. I don't care what, what, what they say. And uh, so that doesn't surprise me. And, and because, again, this isn't a conspiracy. 14 bankers killed. Well, they were killed. And they knew information. And, you know, if, if, if they knew a bit too much, and these people knew more than a bit, uh, you could actually start putting things together, you know, the big picture. Because <clears throat> one of the things about the big picture is, uh, well, you know, when we talk about uh, uh, conspiracies or how the world is run. We always, you know, see, for example, take the policies as foreign policy and national policy. I mean, that's what the prime minister tells us. That's what we, you know, I taught in school. But the to understand world events, and this is one of the things I do in, in, in trans evolution, is you have to understand that beyond the foreign policy and national policy, there's another policy. That's global policy. And that global policy is not run by presidents. It's run by the people, by the men behind the curtain. And these men, which are basically a limited number of families who have controlled humanity forever, and again, this isn't a conspiracy theory because I can show, physically demonstrate, because I spent three and a half years researching the roots of all these, you know, elitist families. And then I, I, I spent three and a half years researching it in the National Library in Florence, in Italy. And uh, <clears throat> I can tell you that, you know, the same people who were there in power uh, at the times of the Fourth Crusade in 1204, 1200, they're the same families 
who run the world today from behind the scenes. And some of the most powerful people in the world, like the other day, you know, they said that uh, Bill Gates is now the number one, uh, you know, the wealthiest guy in the world again with $76 billion. You know, I kind of, again, you see that information and you laugh if you yeah, understand. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because, you know, I have, I have <clears throat> over a thousand pages of documents on this uh, one story called the Golden Lily, which is uh, all this gold which was stolen in the Second World War by the Nazis and by the Japanese. And uh, well, that was the gold that that's the gold that disappeared, isn't it? Why well, it's it, it, uh, people who need to know they know where it is. But yes, that's the gold that disappeared. And you know, we're told that there's in the history of mankind they've only mined 140 uh, metric tons of gold. A metric ton of gold is uh, <clears throat> 32,150 ounces. <clears throat> but if in reality, in reality, there's at least a million and a half metric tons of gold, and this information comes out, and people realize that the gold has the same value as dogs poop on the street, the entire world economy will collapse onto itself. So they can't get this information out. But what I meant to say is that the uh, I have over a thousand pages of documents where you know, there's one extract of one bank account of Baron Krupp, which are the uh, the uh, <clears throat> financiers of Hitler, one of the financiers, and also, you know, one of the original uh, <clears throat> merchants of death, you know, gun runners back, going back to the 19th century. This one bank account has 1.2, no, sorry, $112 trillion, trillion, $112 trillion because they were talking about commission, 1% commission, which was $1.2 billion commission. So if there's one bank account of Baron Krupp, there's $112 trillion. And I, by the way, found 3,024 bank accounts belonging to this man. And if I found 3,024, imagine how many hundreds of thousands of bank accounts that this family has. And if you start multiplying $120, $112 trillion by these thousands of bank accounts, you ask yourself, why are they trying to sell us the idea that Bill Gates, <clears throat> who's been around for 30 years, you know, as, as money is concerned, is the world's wealthiest man when money creation isn't counted in hundreds of years, but in thousands of years. That's how wealth operates. And if you understand it, suddenly your understanding of humanity and reality around us changes completely. It shatters. Yeah. You answered the question. One of the questions I had, which was pretty much exactly that. Like <clears throat> we see all this on paper, who's the richest, but I wanted to ask you about who's, uh, who's not on paper. And, and what's well, I think, you know, I'll give you a name on that's not on paper. For example, <clears throat> the roots of Bilderberg is, is this group called the Venetian black nobility. And they go back again to about, you know, the time, the same time period, the fourth crusade. And, uh, if you kind of look at their history over the past 800 years, you realize that one of the reasons that the royalty attends all the Bilderberg meeting is not because, you know, the, you know, they're, they're the, uh, uh, there to, you know, to, you know, to enhance the reputation of the club with their presence, but because the black nobility, the Venetian black nobility, <clears throat> one of the most important families were the Frescobaldis who are the root of, of all the royal families in Europe. So, you know, because the black nobility today is, <clears throat> this Bilderberg organization, among others, it's only logical that their representatives, you know, the, uh, the, the royalty representatives attend these meetings, not because, you know, the, they need them for publicity purposes. They don't need them for publicity purposes at all. It's another game completely, which is, again, kind of, you know, 
brings me uh, you know back to everything we talked about you know, which is like been almost now two hours and i gotta go in about three yeah, minutes yeah, yeah. <laughs> and, uh, i've got stuff to do at 9 a.m my time <laughs> you guys are gonna be going to bed but uh it's uh when you when you understand how all these elements fit together this is i think my service to humanity in this book as i've you know explained technology nanotech biotech space exploration economy physics and how all these other elements how they all form part of this one continuum it's not individual events but they're all part of this one big geopolitical game which if we kind of step aside and understand it at a different level we may be able to understand much better the world around us and you think uh, so? You think this? Is, we're going to see some big changes before even twenty twenty. I wonder if this new new fiasco over in the Ukraine couldn't be something that gets the ball rolling. Oh, you know, it's again what's happening in the Ukraine. What we see in Detroit, what we see in Venezuela, what we see in in, in Bangkok, Thailand. It's all the same game. It's decentralized power structures. Uh, for example. You have a 15-year-old girl who ODs on heroin in California. You have a 15-year-old girl in London, England, who wakes up one morning, goes to the, uh, instead of going to school, she goes to a hairdresser and, you know, hairdresser uh, paints her hair blue, gray, green, black, orange, and violet. And she puts, you know, piercing in her nose and her ears and her boobs. Uh, You have a girl who's 15 years old in Russia who gets pregnant. Uh, you know, this, like nobody made this 15 year old girl in California in San Francisco, OD on heroin. Nobody put a gun to her head. Nobody put a gun to her head to a girl, you know, who decides, you know, who, 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 who she prefers to look like an animal instead of a human being. Nobody made a 15 year old girl in Russia get pregnant, but they all do. They get pregnant, they die of overdose and they do these awful things to their bodies. But the point I'm making is, is that this is part of this global you know policy it's not national it's not international it's not foreign policy it's global policy it's the destruction of the human spirit destruction of us as individuals it's irregular cultural warfare okay it's the debasement of every human value we have as people and again you need to do that if you want to control humanity we the people may not realize it but they, the elitists, they certainly do. And when you can take a country, <clears throat> any country, and you can break it up and make it into smaller pieces, it's much easier to control, which is why they wanted to destroy Canada in the 1990s, which is why right after the Second World War, in 1948, you know, the American government prepared this report where they wanted to dismember the Soviet Union. And because, again, one of the main reasons we had World War II and why so many people died, that's 55 million people died in World War II, is because the idea that, you know, the globalists had was to take the Soviet Union, which was enormous territory, and had all the natural resources in the world, and that was the greatest, wealthiest nation in the world in terms of resources, water, minerals nuclear anything you want and they needed to get at these resources to survive themselves <clears throat> but because you know the, the the soviet army the red army withstood the nazi aggression and won the war they couldn't attack it militarily 
because uh, Stalin had 11 million men under arms at the end of World War II. They prepared this report in 48, which basically said that we need to destroy the country culturally. And so you have this irregular warfare going on for, you know, between 45 and 91. And then in 91, you had the winds of change, and suddenly the country split into many different pieces, but from within, not from without, because nobody could destroy a country which is an empire, you know, uh, with nuclear technology <clears throat> in, in an open warfare. They couldn't do that. It needed to be destroyed from, you know, from inside, and they did it. And then in the 1990s, when Yeltsin was in power, they tried to destroy Russia, you know, split it up into many little pieces. And they couldn't because then Putin came in and, you know, got rid of all these oligarchs and put things right. <clears throat> but they're doing the same thing in the Ukraine right now. They need to take a country and split it into different pieces, which is what we have right now. Get these different ethnicities to fight each other. And it's important because Canada and the United States are next on their agenda. Because... You know, when people say America, you know, the United States is the evil empire, America is a country. And if you go back to the founding fathers and what America stood for, the United States of America and Russia, back in the ages of Catherine the Great, because again, you have to understand history, they were, you know, they were partners. And had it not been for Russia and Catherine the Great, the British, you know, would have taken over the United States and would have won the war against them. But the Russian government, the Tsar and the Tsarina at the time said, if you do that, we will destroy you. And so they had to stop. So America and Russia have always been friends until very, very recently. And what they're doing to Russia, what they're doing to to the Ukraine, what they did to Yugoslavia back in the 1990s, that is a great example. You had a country and it was split up into, you know, seven smaller territories which, you know, fight each other. They're going to do the same thing to the United States and Canada because on a supranational level, not on a national level, the United States and Canada, they're just territories to be controlled by the global East elite. And that has nothing to do with Barack Obama, who's just a degenerate fool who hasn't quite figured it out yet. But the point is, is that what they tried to do in Canada in the 1990s, they're going to come back and try to do it again. Just make sure you guys are aware when that begins to happen, whatever that may be, mm-hmm. that you know what's coming and why it is being done. Well said. Well, thank you for um, giving us another perspective and another way to look at this, this world that we live in. So where can people get a hold of you? Well, they can get a hold of me at <clears throat> uh, my webpage, danielestulin.com. Um, also, uh, I have a TV show, actually, in, uh, in, uh, in RTRT is a, Russia Today, it's, uh, it's yeah, one yeah. of Russia's, yeah, Russia's networks. And uh, it's actually the first television network in the world to go over 1 billion downloads on YouTube. So they're right now the you know the biggest uh, network in the world, much bigger than CNN and these wow, other networks. great. Because nobody watches CNN in South America and it's been discredited for most of the world as an American propaganda piece. And, uh, <laughs> and so, well, it's, it's true, just like the BBC has, you know. And uh, so I have a show on RT in Spanish, it's called Desde la Sombra, Out of the Shadows. And it's actually the biggest uh, Spanish language show in the world with over 7 million people, you know, per episode. Uh, and you can see it on RT, Spanish channel. And you can actually see it on the internet as well, or on my webpage. You know, I put the, the episodes every week. It's every Wednesday at 1.30 um, uh, hour time, which would be like uh, <clears throat> 7.30 a.m., uh, you know, in, in Toronto. And... Uh, 4.30 a.m., you know, in Calgary. So, you know, you like, watch the reruns, I think, would be better. Yeah, that's that's great. Well, that's, uh, 
yeah, we wish you uh, all the best with that, uh, that show. Yeah, thanks a lot uh, for coming on, Daniel. Like I say, we, uh, we really enjoyed the book. And is there plans for another one soon? Or are you going to take some time off? Uh, I need, uh, uh, because, you know, Trans Evolution was such a definitive book that I kind of need to, you know, to wait and see and decide the direction I want to take with the next book. Because to top, you know, Trans Evolution, that's going to be very difficult. And I'm not saying it because I'm selling my book. I'm not selling anything. Uh, but, uh uh, it's, uh, you know, it's, it's a book that I think uh, creates this new platform for understanding humanity and uh, there's been nothing like it written anywhere in the world and uh, so I think we'll just wait for maybe a couple of years and uh, see where we're going to go with it because uh, I think this, you know, this, you know, when I'm dead, they're going to remember me for Bilderberg but uh, the really smart ones will remember me for trans-evolution yeah. the coming yeah. age of human deconstruction. Yeah, we can vouch for that. Yeah, I suppose on that note, we should uh, wrap it up. It's been two hours. Like, uh, It seems like we've really just scratched the surface. Um, it does, doesn't it? Yeah, maybe uh, maybe a few months down the road, we can look at uh, uh, finishing the finishing the story. Or maybe, <laughs> or, or maybe getting into it. Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. Continue, continue getting started. No, absolutely. Count on it. I'd love to be back in the show. So, Darren, that was our chat with uh, Daniel S. Doolin. Yeah, that was, uh, yeah, that's a scary picture of, uh, scary picture of the singularity. It's just definitely not all the fucking uh, roses oh. and tulips that um, we hear from Kurzweil. It's interesting to look at it that way because it really does, when he puts it all together in that book, and like I want people to understand that Daniel's not just saying all this stuff. Like he's not just spewing it all out of his mouth. Uh, he, when you get into the book, he goes into detail about a lot of it. Like he's got the paperwork and the facts and the events behind all this stuff. Right. Yeah. And he's not afraid to name names or nothing. Yeah. But like so. all that, all that technological shit is happening. And it's when you put it all together in that picture, it's fucking crazy. It's a possible outcome. So uh, one of many possible outcomes, but, uh, if we go into that kind of stuff unchecked, who knows, right? Like you click, I agree when you put something in your head. Let's put it this way. If it comes to the point that you can uh, start putting chips and shit in your head, make sure you read before you click, I agree, like you do on your Facebook and your Twitter <laughs> and shit, because there could be some really fucked up shit in that contract. Yeah, but I mean... Oh yeah, if, if this happens, we can turn you into a robot to... Yeah, but it's already in your driver's license and your visa and all that stuff anyways, right? So, I mean, maybe we're already fucking there. Maybe. Someone's remote controlling me to do the podcast. <laughs> podcast. <Robo> Must podcast. <laughs> no, it's good, Eli. Well, he's not, all, uh, he's not all ugly. Like, he still thinks there's a shot that we turn this thing around, but... Uh, I don't know, man. It's like Elysium shit for big time. Yeah, and, well, you wonder about it. Hey, I, I like how uh, he kind of answered but didn't answer the UFO question. Like, I think he I think he, he realizes something's going on about that. 
they're building the Elysium on the dark side of the moon. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I love it. I fucking knew it. <laughs> Every time. <laughs> no, it's good. Um, it'd be interesting to get. I'd like to have like, um, I'd like to chat with them again in a few years down the road and, and uh, a year down the road. Yeah, not see, even a few see, years. Yeah, see where it's at. Because we really only did scratch the surface. Like there was tons of yeah, shit. Yeah, we, we could go for another about. few hours. The book's great. By yeah. the way, like for sure. Trans Evolution's uh, awesome. Yeah, yeah. I think it's like eight bucks or something on the Kindle. Um, I couldn't find it on audio yet, but uh, no, but Bilderberg books on Bilderberger books on Bilderberger book. That's like a tongue twister almost. Anyway, his Bilderberg books on Audible. Yeah. Um, I haven't I haven't uh, listened to that one, but I did read uh, the Trans Evolution's a good read, and it's like. Fuck, he can fly through it because it's it's really well written and it's just kind of a, it's broken up into segments and it yeah. just flows real nice. Yeah. Sweet man. Well, we got lots coming up. Yeah, lots coming up again. Uh, big thanks to Sanskrit for the music. Uh, well, you'll find links to their website and all that jazz in the show notes as big, well as all Daniel stuff. Yeah, big thanks to Daniel Estulin and, and Booth Media. Yeah, and Booth Media for setting it up. So uh, hopefully that's the start of a, a good relationship like we've got with the people over at Inner Traditions. So um, it's all good, all good news. Things are looking up. So thanks for listening, guys. I don't think we have much more. No, just email. We always like to get emails. Read them all. Yeah, email, Lose some email of them. us. Reply yeah. to some of them. Yeah, we read everything that we get sent. You can tweet us at Grimerica. Uh Like us on Facebook and review us on itunes uh review us wherever you can really and of course uh you know feel free to go to the website we always have comment forums on all the uh on every episode i'd love to see a little more banter going on in, in the comment forums. so you yeah. know feel free head yeah. there and you guys can fight amongst yourselves yeah super easy <laughs> don't fight we're in grand america yeah, all, about love. all about love <laughs> all right guys uh thanks for listening and we will see you guys next week
Thank you.